<laughs> start off with a nice little Sorry. throat what's yeah. up everybody welcome to the show tonight wow episode 70 we are deep in it now bro can you believe that 70 episodes i'm waiting to get to that one hundo i want to I see know. that hundo. It seemed, like dude that seems so far away in the beginning now it's like right around the corner yeah i know i remember yeah we were talking about that too even just like the beginning of when we had our website set up and it was just the list of episodes that we had and we're like damn we can't wait till you could like scroll and see like more episodes rather than just like the two or three we had yeah but we're building we're building the catalog thanks everybody for sticking around for all of it yeah wow ton of people in the chat already i see miguel out there shout out miguel shout out kevin dugard he's always in here we, yeah we always had the, the usual suspects i like that bro i gotta be honest i'm a little nervous about this one nervous yeah because it's such a big responsibility it is but i'm i'm ready but i'm nervous <laughs> We're all you in this together. Mean? All right, we're, we're all in this, this together. together. We're gonna do this. Oh, Let's... first of all, someone in the chat noted, "Rest in peace, Maddie Mance." Yes, lost Maddie Mance a couple of days ago. Um, I'm, I'm sure almost everybody who's watching now knows Maddie Mance just because of the caliber of guests we have on. Yeah. Um. So, R.I.P. Legend. You know, one of the first guys I grew up watching skating, just like Arlo. Arlo was around mm-hmm. uh, skating with Maddie a lot. You know, Senate, all that stuff. But yeah. So very unfortunate, another, another brother we lost, but, uh, we'll represent farm. I'm skate farm this weekend at the Popoff. I'll do that. Oh, the Popoff. That's right. That's this weekend. This weekend. If anyone's in the tri-state area, the uh, BPSO, I guess is the official name for it. I call it the Popoff, uh, Mm -hmm. August 29th (laughs) at 181st skate park. Uh, I don't know what time, but it's a fucking skate event to show up whenever you want. And it's going to be a good time. Yeah. um, A ton of people are going to town for that. Yeah. Also, I I posted to I'm bringing a ton of shit. If anyone needs skates, I have like four pairs of skates, five pairs of skates, frames, liners. I'm not holding that for anybody. Just come find me if you need skates, parts. If anybody, you know, wants to get into skating or something like that, I'll have them with me. Just come find me. But it's first come, first serve. That's really sick, by the way. Throw that out there. Honestly, dude, I, I I don't know about I haven't checked the Jump Street one, but I like I reposted that on my personal Instagram, mm-hmm. and I had a few people reach out like, hey, if you need skates, like people like want to donate. Yeah, I had, we had so, a couple too. Yeah, yeah. so it's a good um, initiative. That's good to man. hear. It is, it is, and uh, I've tried sending skates like overseas to different countries that where people can't afford to buy skates and stuff. I did like the Philippines a few years ago. Uh, we tried doing like Morocco, but it's really expensive to send <clears> skates there. Not even on my part, but like when it gets there, they. For you to pick it up you have to pay tariffs on it which they can't afford so it's like tough to do shit like that but yeah um i'd love to send more skates out to other countries that are less fortunate and i guess i always have fucking skates and people are always willing to donate something so maybe we could get a bunch of skates together to send out to different places yeah but um we have um, a lot to talk about today yeah. you want to uh, people are waiting for your spiel you know they're waiting <clears> for oh yeah it. we got the spiel now we got enough people in the room but you got to do the spiel <laughs> Um, please, if you don't already follow us on all platforms, that would be uh, YouTube. Give us a sub- subscribe, hit the notification bell. So when we have an episode like this with an incredibly special guest, then you get a ding on your phone. You can stop everything you're doing, watch it, or you can just know to watch it later. Um, comment, share the video. If you're watching live right now, please hit the like button. The like button, all these things, these interactions help us in the algorithm, something. I don't know. I didn't do mm-hmm. good at calculus in school, but it, it does something good. And uh, yeah, if you could go to the Facebook, give us a like, go to our iTunes, give us a five-star rating. If you could leave a comment. Um, we just hit 10,000 uh, followers on Instagram, which is, yeah. you know, huge for us. That's another milestone for us. I'm happy about that one. 
And thank you everybody are, who follows us. Thank you for everyone who follows us. And we're doing a contest in favor of this 10K thing. Mm-hmm. So Austin, do you want to give the highlights of the contest? Yeah. So everybody, this is the 10K giveaway uh, slash contest. We just want to have some fun with it. Um, so here are the rules for the contest. Uh, well, I'll tell you what we're giving away first. Uh, we're giving away $100 plus we are announcing two new Jump Street shirts. So we're going to be giving away one of the shirts or both of the shirts to one person and $100 cash money. So here's the criteria to enter and win. Um, you have to follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, you're going to post a clip of yourself referencing a classic clip of just anybody or your favorite skater. I'm going to throw up right now on the screen what I mean so that people can get a better idea of what we're looking at. And just post it on Instagram. Use hashtag Jump Street Podcast. And the deadline will be Tuesday, September 8th. So for people in the States, that's after Labor Day weekend. So you'll have, you know, that whole weekend and next weekend also to go out and get your clips. So if you look in the video right now, we have some references going. Um, super simple. It's going to be fun. I'm going to enter it too. Not that I can win, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, Billy, if you want to enter too, throw a clip up. And we'll post yeah. them on a Jump Street page too. It'd be fun to do. Well, I want to do that because it's just fun. It, yeah, it just looks fun, you know, just to mimic some of your favorite clips and skaters from past, you know, years, past videos, classic videos and shit. Yeah, um, so the, the the final day to send in the submissions is September 8th. So yep. it's like the day after Labor Day. Yeah. Um, so it's going to make a post from, on Instagram too about it. It's so. for the next two weeks, the contest. So mm-hmm. that should be fun. Just post a clip on Instagram, follow us, subscribe to us on YouTube and the hashtag jump street podcast and you know mimic a clip of your favorite skater like reenact it yeah this is gonna be fun. i can't wait to see what people come up with um yeah bonus points if it's filmed the same way the original clip was filmed too so i know some of the examples i just showed they weren't filmed the same way but bonus points if you film it like exactly the same way that the reference clip is i think that'll just be cool too totally make it fun yeah um uh, also real quick i just want to touch on this for a second mm-hmm, before too. we do our hit bomb thing <clears throat> I have a VOD coming out on Thursday. It's going to be five yeah. bucks. That's five bucks is like less than a, a beer in New York. That's how I reference it. It's like a beer. <laughs> That's like half a beer in New York. It's like two slices of pizza. So it comes out on Thursday. Uh, we did it with Erod Blader Gang. It's part of the Duo series. So yeah, if you want to check that out, it comes out on Thursday and it's five dollars. That shit is going to be fire. No one's seen an edit from you in a, a while, a long time. When was the yeah. SSM edit out? Seven years ago. Seven years, damn. Yeah. So yeah. that, that's big shit right there. I'm happy with it. And we could all see from the posters and everything that you've been posting a little teasers that you went in. I'm happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'll say. Uh, and I hope, yeah. So, so keep an eye out for that. It's going to be out this week. For sure. Um, and real quick, before we jump into our guest, everyone, now it's time for my spiel. Got to check out hitbomb.com for your 100% plant-based CBD topicals. Uh, check out their cbd bombs and their cbd dry, uh, oil drops um use code jump street at checkout for 15 percent off your entire order so check them out hitbomb.com yeah cool. and now without further ado man i'm telling you i feel like eminem right before the rap battle knees weak <laughs> palms are sweaty the rabbit over here i'm on sweater already man all right Mom's the man spaghetti. the myth Mom's i looked spaghetti. up to this guy forever yeah we all did the all first did. videos i saw i mean on mtv man who needs no introduction the man himself Arlo, Arlo eisenberg. eisenberg let's bring him on in here oh you flipped oh sideways I don't know. You're, you're, sideways. you're sideways. 
I didn't change anything. How do I fix it? <laughs> I don't know, maybe like reorient the screen, like put it straight up and then ah, and now put it sideways again. Yeah, there you go. Sometimes you got to wake it up. This technology these days. Wake up. Nice. Wake it up. It's like everything. It just wants attention. Here you go. <laughs> Harlow, let me just say this. First of all, you look great, man. You look younger than me. Uh, come on. Well, thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. It's, what do you it's do? just the lighting. It's just the lighting. <laughs> Good lighting. Which, by the way, Billy, don't you like, you do this all the time. Why don't you have better lighting? What the hell? <laughs> I, you know what? I was thinking that. I don't know. I got I to gotta get better. I don't know. Yeah, I need dude. my uh, photographer friends to help me over I'm here. I'm step up. I know I gotta step You're it up. You're a pro, man. Yeah. Uh, we need to get Stockwell to come, that neighborhood boy, and just yeah. drop some lights for you and some big soft exactly. boxes. You got plenty shit. of connections. That's what's I might, up. I might light a candle in a second over here. Just <laughs> you gotta light a candle. I got a candle some in the You're just gonna yeah. set the mood if you do that. Hey, it's great to see you guys. It's good to see you hey, too. Great to see you. Thanks for coming on too. Thanks for taking Thanks the time for to join me us. On. Yeah. It's a this big is, honor. This is, this is great. You got the, the background is sick too. Oh, you are in the back? I tried to give something good. Last time I had it pointed at like my Christmas tree, which is still up. People <laughs> no way. People were like, kind of like making fun of me for that. So I pointed the camera a different direction. What? Why is the Christmas tree still up? I don't know. You just, you just like that? You, Christmas decorations He's a around. guy. You know how Billy is with lighting? That's kind of how I am with like organizing <laughs> the house. Are you always the guy with like the Christmas decorations on the house like year round? No, no. And in fact, it's not really Christmas decorations. It's Krampus decorations. It's a black tree with like devils all over it. Whoa. So it's kind of cool, but yeah, I got to take it down. <laughs> There's no presents under it still, is there? There is actually, because my daughter just had her <laughs> birthday. So I just went ahead and put her presents under the tree since like it was still up. <laughs> That's, That's pretty hilarious. Sweet. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, so what do you... Out. What's going on with like ghosts nowadays? I might as well talk about that because that's like all I see right now. And the work is amazing, by the way, as it no, has been for, that. you know, since the beginning. Yeah, so you're right. So I've got some paintings back there. I'm wearing an old ghost shirt inside out here. Um, but kind of the new iteration for ghosts for me is, is these shirts over here. The drug receipts, it's just the thing I've been doing. Can you see those? Drug receipts? Yeah, so I've been, uh, like, I get these shirts at the um, thrift store, and then I bleach them and, and dye them oh. and, and, like, grind them, you know, grind up the edges and stuff, and then I print on top of them. So can you see that guy? Yeah, that looks great. Cool, yeah. Um, but so it's funny, right? So I get these shirts, I like Pokemon. Can you see the Pokemon <laughs> oh, yeah. in the background? <laughs> yeah. And then just print over them. And, it, it, you know, I think it looks pretty cool. Um, this one you can't see. I wish I could show you the before photos. This one's like Noah's Ark. A lot of the shirts at thrift stores I've, I've discovered are from like churches and stuff. So they're uh. always like about Jesus or whatever, but I don't know. <laughs> Funny. But so, yeah, so I've been doing that. And then I, uh, I, um, I ship them out. Damn, that's sick. So yeah, it's cool. Um, but kind of that's, that's been like taking up most of my creative direction because I'd work full time, right? Um, so for me, the, the creative stuff is like what I can do in my free time, you know? Oh, let me show you one other thing. I don't know if I showed you these. We all need this creative outlet. So it's awesome to see that you're still doing this. Can you still hear me? Yep. So I, they're drug receipts. Like, so I started making shirts, but right. They started as, um, actual receipts. Like I have an Instagram, um, oh, shit. 
and I post all these drawings. It just started like as a, you know, like a kind of a whatever, just a fluke thing. Uh, when I go out, I draw on the receipts. Oh, sick. Was right? that like a CVS receipt or something? Exactly. So, the, oh, you sure. know, the, the restaurants or wherever I go and I, I just, they happen to be drugs or drug related or about drugs. <laughs> Not for any reason in particular, right? That's you cool. See that? So it comes like a little, those come out with the t-shirts the or are those something separate? These are separate. The truth is uh, I leave them for the servers. Um, oh. But since we've been on COVID, since we've been yeah. locked down on the pandemic, there are no servers. I haven't been going out to eat. So I've been drawing them at home. And so then I decided to package them like in the little pill cases. So now I actually have a bunch of them to sell. Um, that's why they're colored and stuff. Cause usually when I do them, you know, when I go out, it's just in pen and it's kind of like hurried. Yeah. But now I've taken like a little bit more time with them. So I, you know, I got these little drug receipts. So yeah, I'll probably put those. I've got a website, drugreceipts.com. So I'll, I'll put this stuff up on there and I'll put the t-shirts up on there and just start selling some of this stuff. So people who like ghost, you know, they'll probably like this stuff too, because it's kind of the same feeling, you know, it's kind of cute and fun and a little, a little irreverent. Yeah, no, that's cool. When you leave them, when you used to leave them at restaurants, did you put like your hashtag or like a count or something like that? So people could tag you in it. Like you ever seen like servers reposted or anything like that? Oh yeah. Yeah. All the time. Um, yeah. So down at the bottom, can you see? Yeah. Oh yeah. There you go. Boom. Perfect. So I, yeah. I always you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, dude, that's my favorite thing when like I see this server, like post it and like they're happy you know they're like yeah. oh look what someone left me so cool um that makes me feel really great yeah you, you've been an artist since the beginning and obviously this marketing like with drug receipts and like everything you did back in the beginning everything it's all seems to come from an artistic place um yeah when, totally and I, I think i remember you saying your dad went to pratt right Something like my that. dad yeah he did graduate school at pratt he uh he uh trained at like pushpin studios um he he's had a a design agency here in Dallas for like over 50 years. That's why I say I have a full-time job. That's what I do. I work with my dad. I'm the creative director at Eisenberg and Associates. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so these, you know, my personal artistic projects, now I've sort of parlayed that into a career doing professional design with my dad. Um, so yeah, totally. I guess I come by it naturally. Yeah, but I, I was going to say, like, you, you always seem to ha implement that approach, like, in your skating and everything like that. Like, when did you, did you get into art just, like, from when you were a kid or through your father? Or did you have any influences uh, from other yeah, artists? Yeah, totally. I, right. I've always been interested in art. And I guess, you know, I had the right kind of household and, you know, influences growing up. My parents were not just supportive, but I guess they also helped to kind of create the environment that nurtured that. They, it helped me to become an artist. Um, but so I went to art schools, you know, I went to an arts high school here in Dallas, Arts Magnet, which is Booker T. Washington High School for the Performing and Visual Arts downtown. Um, I went to an arts academy for junior high. Um, and then for college, I kind of got the idea I would do communications. I thought I'd get into film um, because I liked, I liked kind of theatrical elements. I liked um, visual arts and some friends and I got into making videos when we were in school, in high school. And so I thought, oh, film would be like a cool way to just like incorporate all these different artistic elements and just have this one big visual like uh, medium. Um, but by, by the time I got into college, I'd also discovered rollerblading, like in my, the summer after my junior year of high school. Um, and so when I went to Austin, to UT, to, to study communications ostensibly, um, really all I was doing was skating. 
you know, it's funny because my sister now goes to, to UT, the school that I went to. Um, and so I, you know, I go there to drop her off. I just went a few weeks ago to take her back to school. Um, and so I go several times throughout the year to visit her. And when we go around campus and I see things, I don't remember any classes that I went to. I don't remember any, you know, buildings associated with classes. All I remember is spots. I always saw I used to skate there. Oh, yeah. that, you know, yeah. that staircase brings back so many memories. I have no recollection of school at all, only skating for my time in Austin. So it's not surprising that I dropped out and moved to California to skate, which is what happened. Yeah. And that's when you met like Angie and uh, Brian Smith and those guys. Like who, who was like the first person you met out there? No, I, I, I'm How sure you told this story. How Maybe? old are you? Yeah. 36, about to be 37. Oh, you young people. It's so funny the way y'all think about <laughs> the, the old days of rollerblading. It's funny that you would think that Angie Walton and Brian Smith are kind of your idea of what like the first generation of rollerblading was. Um, Brian would come late. So we're all <laughs> old school, sure. But Angie is yeah. part of that very first vanguard of uh, what you could call aggressive skaters, the people on team rollerblade. And it was really, it was Angie Walton, um, Chris Edwards, obviously, Pat Parnell, Chris Mitchell, um, Doug Boyce, AJ, uh, Tony Cordell, it was people like that. And then you also had, because it was Team Rollerblade back in the early days, there was sort of like some crossover between, because they all performed together, was the stunt team and the dance team. Uh, and, you know, the, there was some gray area between what was what. You know, they would all participate kind of in all the routines. Um, Eric Wiley was around back then. But so uh, Corey Miller and I came and started working with Rollerblade around the same time. We would be kind of the next generation after Angie and Pat and all those guys. Um, Brooke came a little bit before me, um, but Brian Smith wouldn't come onto the scene really uh, until a little bit later when street skating started to become a thing. Uh, when we did uh, the hoax tour and Mad Beef and you know T-Bone Films went to New York, that's when they yeah. hooked up with Brian Smith. Um, and so that whole thing with hoax and everything else that would come a little bit later. So I can understand the yeah. just sort of compressing it all together. But to, you know, when you really get down to the technicality of it, uh, Angie and Brian represent kind of two different pivotal per periods in the, the history of skating. Sure, sure. And see, for me, like, this is awesome. And to, to, uh -huh. to get, to get that distinction, because my first video was hoax too. Right. So like, yeah, right. For, for, for my knowledge, that's like, was a pivotal video from what yeah. I hear the guys before me of how that changed everything before that yeah. it was a different thing but that was my first thing and in relation to a lot of the people that I know hoax too is like whoa it's so old school to like a lot yeah, of exactly so, right so that's kind of like where it it starts for me and I tried to like yeah. dig in there but yeah. you know that's what, why we need you on here to set right this, exactly this stuff straight you know but so you can take, there is a clue in the name. The fact that it's even hoax too, lets you know that there's something that came before it, which was the original hoax. Right. Yeah. And even, you know, there were things that even preceded the hoax because, uh, you know, Daily Bread had come out right before that, uh, Box Magazine probably. So all these things were kind of like percolating. And by the time it came out, by the time it got to hoax too and kind of exploded a little bit, um, you know, the, the groundwork had been laid a little bit and there were people kind of working behind the scenes people like the original team rollerblade in fact in one of the previous uh interviews that we did um you know i even sort of acknowledged my own blind spots in in terms of the history of rollerblading because i know when i moved to california and when i hooked up with team rollerblade and i met them and started like getting involved and when we started um doing daily bread and all those things but 
the truth is team rollerblade angie and pat and chris and that whole crew and chris edwards and chris mitchell um they have their whole story to tell about what was happening in california you know when they were all constantly butting heads with rollerblade their corporate sponsor when they were doing shows and like advocating for this new burgeoning thing which was this you know the stunt skating right this bastard's stepchild the black sheep yeah um Oh, and Chris Morris is someone, you know, that I should acknowledge, right, is an important early influencer. So, yeah, there's a whole lot of people. And there's the history kind of goes back, you know, further and further, the the, um, deeper you dig. It's like an onion, like the layers just peel back. I'm the same boat, like what Billy just said, too, and how you laughed at him that we would put all these people in the same category. Because I did the same thing, too. When I I sat down with John Julio and Scotty Crawford, like I always thought John Julio was like super OG, even like. Scotty like was way more OG than him and then like yeah. all these names that you mentioned too is the same thing and yeah. it just gets pushed so far back that we all get it blend together um on those like hoax tours and the mad beef tours and shit like that we had John on the show a few times and he mentioned one time when I guess you guys went to I don't know if it was Milpitas or San Jose or something like that and you guys first saw him on the shotgun rails and he was talking about that day he gave his side of the story and he said that you were there. And I think he said that you like couldn't hit the rail or something like that. So it was like a little funny story that he said about when he met all you guys. Yeah. Um, what other stories do you have about other people that you met on the hoax tours for the first time, like John, who then became pro or, or legends or something like that? Like what other names do you have? Well, first, I will tell you that um, the the videos that you guys haven't seen, <laughs> hoax one and mad beef, which came before hoax two. But those are probably when I was skating at my best. By the time we got to Hoax 2, and I, I went into detail with this. I think it was with Justin uh, on the one podcast. Um, I talked about kind of all the regrets and kind of misgivings I have about Hoax 2 and my performance on it. Um, it was really kind of a bad place for me in terms of skating. Um, I had just lost front sides because of a groin injury, and I, Royales hadn't come out yet. And so I was stuck to only being able to do souls. And those were really low percentage tricks back then, um, especially on kind of the soul plate, which didn't exist yet. So the little fins we had. Um, so it's just a whole bunch of like making excuses. But I do. John is right. I, I probably embarrassed myself with that shotgun rail. And he was a hero. Um, but I felt like we were just going around the country. And it was me doing that everywhere. Like it was really hard to skate for me at that time. Um, How but so in terms tour? of people, what's that? How long was that tour? The hoax too? Yeah. I have no idea, but we, we literally went all the way across the country and not in a straight line. So it, yeah. it must, and it must've taken a while, but I, I'm notoriously bad at kind of like time. Sure. <laughs> so I, I have no concept of it really, but you'd, you'd have to ask uh, Opalic or anyone else on the tour. Um, <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. But I do want to acknowledge because we're talking about hoax too. And we're talking about kind of that period. Um, Matt Mance just passed away. Uh, shockingly and Mm -hmm. so I would like to take a moment just to kind of acknowledge you know kind of the bright spot that he was in that era and how many people looked up to him and kind of like what an influence he had on people because he was one of these you know we're talking about like the early days of skating there were people like me who moved out who dropped out of college to move out to um, California people like the original team rollerblade but all of us were basically in our 20s already so these young people that started to come up, people like Matt Mance and then Roadhouse, but the people that were the true first generation rollerbladers where rollerblading was the first thing that they did, you know, mm-hmm. whereas I, I started skateboarding, you know, I did other stuff before I, I did, even discovered rollerblades. 
But someone like Matt Mance, you know, he's 12, 13 years old by the time he discovered it, maybe even a little younger. Yeah, exactly. Um, for them, they represent like the first generation of rollerblading. They brought like this new style and kind of like this, uh, this real pure um, uh, approach to it. And so it was, it was a real pleasure to see, you know, guys like Matt Mance. And he really was the first one. He set the template for kind of this like this just sort of purebred natural rollerblader. And he just made it look so cool. Um, but then, you know, after rollerblading, he would become like one of the original enigmas, like kind of one of the people that people, one of the guys that people would always talk about and wonder what happened to him. And we would get these odd stories every once in a while, you know, like he was out in Vegas, maybe gotten into drugs. It's like, you didn't always get good news about him. Yeah. Um, but so I'm, I'm, it's really sad to hear that he's passed. Um, but I just wanted, I thought it was important since you guys provided the opportunity to take a moment to acknowledge his legacy and kind of what he contributed to rollerblading. And 100%. also as a friend, I mean, I, you know, a lot of us knew him and I, I loved the kid um, for as long as I knew him. So I, I'm real sorry to hear about his passing. Absolutely. I, I was actually going to mention something, uh, ask you something about that regarding him, because I know you guys had that uh, relationship back in the day on Senate. Like, um, you know, I remember seeing Day of the Rope, him, you know, Roadhouse in there, and even like Kids of America section with like Corey Nelson back in the day. Exactly. Yeah. And being like a young kid, like which we were looking to, yeah. like it was great seeing obviously everyone, but like just that the kids doing it like, oh, we, we can do it. That's so cool. And like, yeah. he was definitely him and Roadhouse were just like the coolest guys, Corey Nelson. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Um, we were actually even like maybe like six months ago, we were like trying to figure out a way to get his contact because we wanted to get in touch yeah. and get him on the podcast oh, wow. and things like that. Yeah. But uh, we, we just like you said, it's, you know, random scattered stories. And um, yeah, did, did you have any like uh, specific uh, interactions like when you first got him on the team or like what was the first impression maybe of him during that time before you got him on Senate? With Matt Mance? Um yeah, I don't remember. I mean, nothing that different than what you guys all saw and what you knew. I mean, he, mm -hmm. to me, Matt and Randy represented kind of like this, like I was sort of saying, like this kind of this pure representation of rollerblading that was, that was naturally um, stylish. Like for a lot of us from the, from an earlier generation, I felt like we were a little more self-conscious about it. Like we had to decide how we were going to look when we were doing tricks. Like we were sort of making conscious decisions. And I felt like they just sort of came up doing it. Like it, what you didn't have to think about as much. It was sort of natural talent. And Randy and Matt really, I think, uh, exemplified that. They they looked sort of athletic and natural and comfortable. And and I I thought that was sort of like the right direction for rollerblading. It's why we it's why we we wanted them for Senate. We wanted to promote that image that that direction for rollerblading. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and it was kind of it was kind of a period. We we sort of changed Senate kind of to reflect more their image than kind of what my image was before because I brought I brought sort of more like a what I thought was like a more gritty street kind of punk fu attitude, and right. so Senate kind of reflected that in the earlier days. But once you saw us moving toward like a, a Randy and Matt model, it started moving sort of toward cleaner, more athletic, and it really was kind of to promote their style of skating, honestly. That's yeah, that's amazing. Senate was like, yeah, looking up to them, that whole Senate team, that must that was uh absolutely special. And I I I can see now that you're pointing out the uh, distinction between like the early days in Senate and like the center bat versus like the cleaner and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that's really cool. Um you know yeah, I, our, 
Sorry. I was just going to say, Austin, I, I wanted because I had another, I have another answer about your question. Like, did we run into any other people who would go on to become like superstars in skating right. while we were on the hoax tour? And there's kind of like a secret uh, stop on the hoax two tour that I don't think it's talked about very often. Um, but at the end of the tour, like the last place we went was Florida. And we went to visit this kid who was sick. Maybe he was terminally ill or something, but he was like into skating and he wanted to meet us. And so we stopped by and visited with him. And I'm not sure that's in the video, but then after that, before we dropped off the, the bus that we were in, um, we went to, to a skate shop and we hooked up with Josh Petty. And I'm fairly certain this isn't in the video either. I think this all happened kind of outside of the purview of the video, um, but it was like our last stop. And so we set up this, like they are the shop set up like this launch ramp outside of the, um, the skate shop. And we ended up skating with, who would go on to become Josh Petty. But at the time I remember kind of like trying to go toe to toe with him. And it was basically just a long term. So we're doing like five forties and like trying seven twenties and maybe trying fakie spins or whatever. But Josh was like really good. Um, and you know, he's Josh. He had kind of this like really distinctive style. Uh, but it never, for some reason, never ended up in the video. So it's kind of like this secret lost footage from the hoax two tour. Um, and it's it's notable because it's Josh and he would obviously go on to become a superstar. Oh, shit. That's a crazy story. It's, it's crazy yeah. that you remember that anyway, because I feel like the way we grew up, everything was documented. You know, our whole yeah. lives were skating. So it was videos and photos. And to I feel like only the only memories that I have are of like my videos in the past. Yeah. Like if but we didn't film it, like I don't even remember the session. So it's crazy yeah. that you remember that in the first place. No, I'm the same way. If it didn't happen on video or if it's not in a magazine, I don't remember it. But um, Josh won't ever let me forget it. He talks about it all the time. So. <laughs> oh, he yeah. probably brought it up too. He was like, you remember that one time? <laughs> yeah. Shout no, out I'm a he, <laughs> he definitely made an impression. We always remembered that. And in fact, we, you know, we tried to hook up with him later as we were, you know, doing stuff with Senate. And we, he was someone that we wanted to be um, associated with. Oh, it's crazy how that went in full circle. Yeah. And you, well, you, you, are you technically like a host now of a, uh, the future prospects uh, podcast the way things are <laughs> no because you were on the last couple episodes too. i've been on all the episodes I am a, <laughs> i'm a special guest yeah a recurring special guest but uh no i'm just a guest the hosts are richard and josh and joe and jeff yeah but you guys They've are got, having a good time with that yeah no it's fun i yeah I, I love their perspective on things and i love listening to those guys talk so mm -hmm. yeah I, I think it's a it's great content yeah, I'm glad those guys did that. It's another like refreshing view on different parts of the industry or just all of our past that we never got to hear before. So it's great that they're doing exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, Stick. totally. Um, um, I don't mean to go back a second. I mean, we've got a ton to talk about, but so you said you were a freshman in college when you just dropped out and decided to go to California. And it seems like everything was just sweeping up so fast. Um, one, what was your what was your family thinking about that? Like when you, when you got up and like left and all that, because you're doing all this for blading and two, what was like, there must've been some like, uh, obviously like, uh, I can't think of the word, but like the ambition, there's like something to, you're like, oh, there's a reason. I see this oh, yeah. opportunity, okay. opportunity. That's yeah, the yeah. damn word yeah. I can think of. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the family thing is like, you know, you, obviously you have to kind of spin it so that you can get buy-in from your family. I mean, it's like, I don't know how stoked they would have been if I just said, Hey, I'm going to drop out of college and move to California and rollerblade, you know, yeah. for a living. 
because certainly back then that didn't exist there wasn't Mm -hmm. an x games there wasn't a pro tour like people weren't getting paid to do that really that would have been a complete you know absurd pipe dream um but they knew i was skating a lot and they knew that i was good at it for whatever that meant at the time um so but the way we sold it was i'm going to move to california and enroll in college in california um and you know you have it takes like two years or something to get residency in california so i was like you know i'm gonna go out there take a couple of years get residency then enroll in school you know for cheap uh whatever that was a whole plan but so basically i spun it with the idea that school was still the goal um, and so that bought me a little bit of time and it bought some buy-in from my parents. Um, also, I happened to have, I broke my ankle in Texas. Um, so that kind of uh, threw a, a wrench into all my plans because all I was doing in Texas was skating. And so once I broke my ankle, I couldn't skate. Um, but what, what it forced me to do was to take stock of my life and kind of evaluate, well, what do you want to do now? Cause you're obviously flunking out of your classes and now you're not even skating. So it's time to like shit or get off the pot. Really. If you're going to skate, if that, if you want that to be your life then commit to it. And uh, when we talk about rollerblade, the people that were kind of, you know, there behind the scenes before even I got to California, I actually, I didn't meet them after I got to California. I met them when they came to Texas cause they were touring. So I met Angie, I met Pat, I met Chris, I met Chris Edwards. I keep saying Chris and Chris Edwards. I met Chris Mitchell and Chris Edwards. I met that whole crew when they, and AJ, when they came out to Texas for a show and they did a demo on a half pipe and I skated with them. Um, and then I took them to a local skate park, Jeff Phillips skate park, and we all skated the skate park together. So when you asked if there was any opportunity in California, I sort of got on their radar then and mm. I had a chance to talk to them. I said, Hey, I love skating. You know, how yeah. do I do what you guys are doing? Is there any hope? And they said, well, if you're serious about it, you have to be in California because the only place you can make a living skating is in California. And so that planted the seed. And so when I broke my ankle, I was like, okay, it's time to go to California. So I had an idea, I had an inkling, Billy, but I didn't have anything lined up. It's not like, it's not like I was on the phone with, you know, um, Chris Edwards, like, Hey bud, uh, I'm coming to California. Do you guys, do you guys have any shows for me or anything? It was just sort of, I went there on a, on a, a hope on a lark. Right. But I believed in my abilities. I thought if I got out there, things would happen again, hoping that I would, (laughs) hoping that I would recover from my ankle injury. Cause I, I had surgery, I had pins put in my ankle. So I literally, I really wasn't skating when I moved out there, but I believed that I would recover. I believed that I would be good. And I believed that I would start hooking up with the right people. Um, and so that's what happened. I moved out there and, and I ran into, I, I moved to Venice beach. Once I started skating again, I started skating on Venice beach. Eventually, I ran into Brooke Howard Smith. We started skating together. He already knew Team Rollerblade out there. And so things started happening. Eventually, I got my first Rollerblade gig, like doing shows with them. And then eventually, I got my first gig going to ISPO in Germany, doing uh, uh, demos out there for Ultra Wheels and for Oxygen. Um, And then, you know, it just all started snowballing from there. That yeah, was kind of like the classic way to, to get a be a pro skater and move out to Cali. That was exactly. like the dream for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people go to I feel like a lot of people go out to California chasing the dream. You know, a lot of people end up, you know, not achieving, you know, people go out there trying to be a music person, be a movie yeah. star. You go out there chasing the rollerblading dream. 
But when you go out there, it's like starts working out. Next thing you know, you're on, you're doing these things. You're you're on MTV, hanging out with Dan Cortez, you know, and you end up being in top 100 people to watch in the new millennium in People Magazine. Like, was there a, there must have been, I'm just thinking if I was like experiencing these things, there must be a point like, God damn, I'm awesome. And this is working. Yes. Like there must have been that cool moment because you, you, you know, you took it out there, you go for it and it's starting to come together. Like, oh, this is rad. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because like, like Austin said, you know, the only, the only memories I have are the ones that are recorded. But so the kind of the dark side of that is I get to see kind of like my own growth and development. It's all on permanent record. So I can go back and watch old videos and kind of get a a glimpse of who I was or where I was in my own kind of emotional um, growth and development. Um, And so, yeah, Billy, I, I started off extremely confident in my abilities. I was arrogant, right? I knew that I was good and I, I knew that it was only a matter of time before other people would recognize that I was good. And so moving out to California, hooking up with Team Rollerblade, getting on MTV, you know, being declared one of whatever so-and-so's hundred people to watch, all that stuff. For me, that was all just a vindication of what I already believed. I thought I was awesome. Um, so that just, you know, helped my ego to swell and swell and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I watch some videos, like when I, when I see it's all good, like I cringe a lot. Like I <laughs> feel like it looks like such, like such an arrogant. Asshole. I wanted to ask you that too. Cause you're like yeah. a grown adult, you're mature now. And like, you were such a badass growing up. Like, I want to know if you were like, oh yeah, fuck that. I was, that's just the way I was. Or you were like, oh no, like, why did I no. say those things? No, there's definitely some things like I identify with, like there's things when, like I'll watch it and I don't remember, you know, I don't remember the scenario. So when I'm watching, I'm kind of like watching it new, like to see, oh, what's that guy going to do? But that guy is me. And so sometimes like, I'm really happy. I'm like, oh, he said what I would have liked to have said. So I'm glad mm-hmm. I pulled it off and I'm happy with how I represented myself. But then there's other times where I really do cringe. I'm like, man, Arlo, please don't do that. Or <laughs> why did you do that? Um, and I was talking to this about a friend, you know, not too long ago, but there are some things it's like, you know, a lot of my shtick, I feel like was, I was, I feel like I was always doing like an inside joke with myself. Like there's things where I'm like sort of doing this deadpan kind of dry humor where I'm not laughing and I'm just sort of playing the fool or I'm like acting like an idiot and I'm just kind of entertaining myself. Um, But the problem with that, when you're doing an inside joke for one is that nobody else is in on it. So nobody (laughs) else gets it. (laughs) And so by all appearances, you are just whoever you're pretending to be. If you're yeah. pretending to be an idiot or an asshole and you think it's because you're, you're being funny, well, and no, if no one else knows, then you're just being an idiot yeah. or an asshole. And so it's funny because when I watch, like, especially when I watch It's All Good, like, I feel like I know that that was my intention a lot of the time, but I don't even remember whatever jokes I thought I was pulling. So all I see <laughs> is the idiot and the asshole like everybody else. And so, so I'm like, what a dummy, you know? It looks, a lot of it looks so bad. So yeah. But they're also, they're t- like, it, I should, but I should also say there are a lot of things that I think are cool. Like I did, I think I, I did a lot of things cool. So, it, you know, it's kind of a balance. You don't win them all, right? Totally, totally. I think yeah. we all have points in our uh, skating history that we could all look back on and say, man, yeah. you know. Sure, yeah. <laughs> for me, it was the big, especially what's on video. Yeah, you know, for me, it was the big sweatpants and and the maybe <laughs> right. being a big la- loud mouth from New York in the early days, man. I was so <laughs> proud of being a loud mouth. Yeah. And I look back and I'm like, what a dummy. You know, so I think I'll it's probably good to look back look, at this. Yeah, I think it's good that we get to look back at that shit. Like, it's kind of like we get to check ourselves, you know? 
Exactly. <laughs> we know where we came from. Yeah. And we're not, right. uh, we're not ashamed of it. Where you don't exactly. want to go again. A, the fact that we can look back is also, you know, it's a measure of how far we come. It shows us that we're growing. Right. So we get these kind of these landmarks that show us, Oh, we are maturing, which is nice. Well, yeah. Was like the boldness of like the way you were and like the badass mentality that you had back in the day, like the, along the lines of the destroy all girls thing. And you would be like on TV with a helmet at the X games that just says kill on the front. Like, with those bold statements, they, they were probably what part of the reason that skating got as big as it did. And like the controversial part of it that, you know, brought it to the general public. Was that like your intention and in being like that and, and portraying yourself and skating in that way, or it just kind of naturally happened? Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's kind of both, but the problem is if you, if you ask, or if I say that was my intention, it sounds like it sounds kind of like cynical or or calculated like oh this is a great marketing ploy or mm -hmm. oh if we put destroy all girls in the name tags and this is going to blow up and that'll be great publicity for senate um that's not really how i approached it i mean this conversation started with billy asking me you know if i was always into art and you know he you know he was sort of acknowledging how a lot of the things that i've done have been influenced by art or come from kind of like an artistic perspective and that is how I approach most things. That's how I approach skating. I mean, even still, I'm not, I'm not still in the public eye. I'm not still doing skating, but my personal art, you know, it's, it naturally just comes out as provocative. I, I like to be provocative. I like to kind of challenge conventional wisdom. So my art back here, it says quit, you know, it's got nooses. The, the stuff that I'm doing now is about drugs and it's not necessarily, it's never, the message is never meant to be taken literally. It's meant to be provocative and challenging. When I put kill on my helmet, I'm not really suggesting that anyone goes out and kill. It's more an exp expression of kind of like emotion and rage and just sort of like, uh, you know, and sort of challenging conventions yeah. it's meant to be rebellious. Um, yeah. So yeah, so right. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't just in a service of marketing. It was honest and sincere. It just so happens that I had this, I gained this vehicle with Senate and the people we were marketing to were other young people like me that identified with it. So it just happened. It happened to find uh, the right audience. That was like the era of angry youth too. So that was like perfect exactly for that right. time. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. what I mean. It's like, it was the sort of the right, it had the right aesthetic at the right time. So it, it worked. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, I, I think that's incredible. I mean, I honestly, like, I loved that whole style of everything back in the day. Cause I think the early days of like skating and like the melancholic punk days yeah. was like, kind of like, you know, that style of like pop punkish and all that, but then just everything, um, that whole attitude and, uh, yeah, it was huge back then. I could see that in your artwork as well. And but, for me, yeah. No, go, go ahead. I want to hear about that. No, yeah, but I mean, for me, like, those are, like, the kind of artists and, like, music people that I like, the people that are always, like, embracing that emotion that you're talking about, yeah. you know, like, the, that feeling that it's, like, oh, that's taboo, but, it, you know, kill doesn't mean kill, but it means, to, like, you know, you can embrace that, oh, it's, like, a kind of exactly like, channeling that, yeah. Yeah, and so just to kind of, like, draw, you know, um, a fine distinction between kind of the market, using it as, you know, cynical, using it cynically just sort of as marketing, like, oh, you know, kids are, are angry and rebellious and they'll eat this up versus what, where I was coming which, from, which I, I really felt like was a pure artistic expression. I was just, I always say that I use Senate like as performance art. 
Um, when I did hang tags or when I did the, the, um, the wash labels inside the shirts mm. and I wrote destroy all girls, it's because for me, everything was an opportunity to be provocative and to do something different and not just to do just a normal shirt label. If, if they're going to ask me, they're going to say, Hey, Arlie, we need packaging for socks or we need packaging for bearings. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to try and like do something provocative or different. I don't, I have no interest in making bearing packaging, but mm. so, but so so mark heineken sometimes would do things like he would take kind of like this this senate attitude that we had and like he would do his own stuff and so he did i'll, I'll never forget we, we had this bumper sticker it said uh my my what was it like my student beat up your senate your student of the month something like that my my student beat up your student of the month and it says senate supports angry youth yeah and that all sick. that never sat well with me because i felt like that was kind of misunderstanding what it meant to be angry or like what we were what we were uh rebelling against like it's not just about being like the tough kid at school that yeah. beats up the nerdy kid like to me that felt it's like i felt like we were the nerdy kids you know mm. and so i'll i'll there was always kind of like the, a little bit of that tension it's like don't misunderstand what it means to be angry and don't misunderstand it's like it's not it's not about being the tough guy you know and, and, and you know exactly what i was worried about is is exactly what happened to skateboarders. They went from being like misanthropic and being kind of like the outcasts to being the jocks. And, and they went from being the ones that were picked on by the jocks at school for, you know, for looking weird and for, you know, being little and scrawny and not playing football. They went to being the jocks, you know, where, you know, DC became the cool shoes to wear. They had the cool clothes and they went to making fun of the outcasts. Totally. And then rollerbladers ended up being the outcasts. So it's, it's weird that how that whole cycle happened where, the skateboarders went from being outcasts to being the jocks to picking on the outcasts. I mean, but so all that is to say, I never wanted for Senate to be the jocks or the jerks. And so right. you have to be real careful about how you, how you use that kind of language. Mm. Well, no, I can along, sorry. Uh, along those lines, um, now that you're like, kind of like saying how skateboarders used to be, be the jocks or whatever, like, now what's going on in the skate world that's passed around on social media i'm sure you've seen it was the spitfire wheel with like the blader on it that's like ripped up have you seen that the spitfire uh -huh. no there's like a there's like a spitfire wheel that's just got announced Show it to me. Skate. put it up on the screen let's see so this just got announced um i guess recently this week and yeah the, like there, people there, in the blading world thing, there, there yeah, was a the wheel world that going, was designed what? by neckface do you know who neckface is arlo uh -huh, the artist yeah the graffiti artist from new york yeah yeah so uh, here so it is so yeah, he did this wheel and there was like this big thing about it on um on Spitfire. So this is just this year, maybe like maybe like a week or two ago. But there was a big thing that got reported, a bunch of people. Wait, is the rollerblader a rollerblading cop or something? Yes, it's a rollerblading cop. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like it was just all ripped up. And what's it say? That's the pro? I That's guess that's the name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But so basically like being... that, that that was just like recently and there was a whole big thing where that I guess they they took it down. They're they're stopping selling it, but they already sold X. Amount oh, did of they? I didn't even know that. Yeah, they already they they stopped selling them because there's this oh, whole shit. thing. But they already sold X amount of wheels. It's, it's around the world, so it's um I don't know. What's your take on that kind of thing? That's been you know you've been around in it, observing yeah. it for a very long time, and it's obviously still continuing to some degree. Well, I mean, it's really funny. First of all, I'm I'm just trying to get my my head around that wheel. Who who is the target? What I mean, are rollerblading cops really a thing? Is that like, not are, that I know of? <laughs> are they like are are they are are they really like the you know the the 
the the enemy of skateboarders they are they like the i don't know well, I don't well know if, I could take, if i could take a, if i could take a guess i would guess that it would be an first being an anti-cop wheel like mm -hmm. and then attaching rollerblading on just as a bonus to pick on, oh, yeah, yeah. Just trying to get all the all the <laughs> yeah, the like this crazy. also sucks too. It's a very but, 2020 you know, wheel. Like how I would interpret yeah. it, I could be wrong. It's so, right? It's I mean, it's it's just so not relevant. Like it's almost it's hard to take it seriously. It's like if this had happened sure. 10 or 20 years ago, yeah. Oh man, how could you know that would be so lame? But it's like to we already said that. You know, it was weird when skateboarders went from being the outcast to being the jocks and picking on rollerbladers. But to pick on rollerbladers now, that like, yeah, we've already lost the war. Like, rollerbladers <laughs> aren't anywhere or anything, they're no threat to anyone. Yeah. It's like, why? It's like such a lame target. Um, it, in fact, it feels like it's such an inconsequential target that I can't believe that that is actually the story. I feel like there's got to be something more to it that I don't get. That's why I'm reluctant to kind of comment on because. Mm -hmm. In sure. terms of the schism between skateboarders and rollerbladers, it's like, it, it just doesn't seem like that could be what the wheel's about because it's so, like, we're so far from that even being. A yeah. I, to be honest, on like a day to day, I don't really experience that much as yeah, an adult, either. you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it, but I know yeah. they've made overt campaigns, like, especially like you're, you coming up, like, you know, just in that time, they were just like overt campaigns against, like, ads, like, you know connecting rollerblading to uh, homosexuality or whatever the case that they thought was lame. And um, just to see that continue is just, you know, just straight. And like you said, it's, it's such an inconsequential target at this. You would think like it'd be a better uh, marketing thing, maybe have a scooter on because they, they at least have yeah. more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like, again, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt and, and sure. assuming that there's something more to the story that I just don't get. I mean, maybe that pro, like maybe he really had a run-in with a cop on rollerblades and it's like a big funny story in skateboarding and so they're making fun of that i mean who knows um but if if there's not more to the story then it's just sort of then it sort of looks like sort of sad or out of touch or kind of desperate on the part of the skateboarding company like oh okay they, they really haven't grown with the times that they're still mm -hmm. kind of clinging to those old you know rivalries but Right. But again, I, I don't want to comment on to, on it too much without having sure. all the, the details. Um, but, you know, traveling in our time machine back when it was a thing and, you know, because this is a thing that comes up a lot in these kinds of conversations. But, you know, I did go into Lions and I, I did the interview with Big Brother magazine back when it, there yeah. was a real schism there. Um, and when, you know, half of the article was, you know, making fun of rollerblading and saying that it was gay and, you know, asking me, you know, all these questions about being a homosexual and whatever so did you know that was the intention coming in coming in I, I know you've touched on this a few times but just to briefly for maybe people who haven't seen it like did you know that yeah. was the intention oh, yeah, going absolutely. into it yeah no i mean I, okay. I i i was a big fan of big brother magazine i collect the magazines i have the first and second issues like you know I, i'm like yeah, so I knew exactly what it was about. And I knew that going in there, they weren't interviewing me because they really were stoked on rollerblading. They were doing it to take the piss out of rollerblading. But I also suspected, you know, Big Brother is not Thrasher. Um, I feel like a, a, if Thrasher were to try to do a similar thing, it would have only been um, cynical and sophomoric. Right. There would have been no sort of intellectual like undergirding. 
But I knew that with Big Brother, even though they were obligated to take the piss, that there would be something kind of interesting and um, substantial uh, at the core. Um, and whatever people's feelings about it are, I, I feel like we got that. I, for me, when I go back and I read it, I see that, that there is a real kind of um, meeting of the minds on some level where there's real kind of intelligent dialogue going back and forth, even if there are you know, punchlines scattered throughout it. Some of, the, some of the, the interaction I thought was was meaningful and worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, it was totally epic that uh, yeah. you were able to cross over in that way. And in so many ways, like, you know, like even on the board with the X Games and all this stuff like that, just yeah. having that like front seat at the table where yeah. a lot of, I think a lot of rollerbladers who were involved in the industry just like, oh, like didn't get to really experience that directly. Yeah, yeah, no, it was a, it was a, it was a good time, and I definitely am grateful for kind of having that little magical uh, period where I was able to get those opportunities. Hmm. I mean, I remember meeting you back at, on a side note. I remember meeting you back at you did a thing with Rollins and Rivera traveling around with the NIS competitions, mm -hmm. where you guys yeah. were like announcing those things for a while. Like it was you and him going back and forth. It's a pretty yeah. good duo, actually. Yeah, yeah. But I remember seeing you on the street in Fulton Street. I was like, hey, yo, what's up? And you were like, Rollins and Rollins. And, you know, he's like the king of New York kind yeah, of attitude exactly, back in the yeah. day. He's like, yo, what's up, bro? <laughs> like, yeah. But um, what about that? What was like NIST, like uh, cool NIST story? Like, you know, I know NIST 94 was like a huge thing, the beginning of NIST. What was that yeah. experience like? Yeah, I mean, that was, right. That was our first pro tour. And that the first NIST predated X Games by a year. So it was our first kind of like big international exposure. And the first thing, the first excuse we had to all come together. Um, and for, you know, for people like me and for Angie and for all the people that were adv advocating for kind of like this new vision of rollerblading, um, it was the realization and the culmination of a, of a dream, you know, and a vision. Because before NIS, the only way you had, the only hope you had for making a living skating was doing demos and shows. So, and those were all kind of, those were performances, you know, it's basically, you know, do this, skate there, yeah. do doubles, skate at the same time, it was choreographed, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. And we were looking for something, some avenue for people to be able to survive purely on artistic expression um, and competitions were the closest way to do that because you know if you have a circuit then people can go out and compete basically you have street competition and half pipe competition also but you know where it's each individual's expression and they can earn money doing that and you know we started building a whole um, network and culture around this with magazines and videos and sponsorships and companies I mean None of this existed for rollerblading, so we had to build it all from the ground up and from scratch. Uh, but we were really, we were trying to create a a world where people could get paid and make a living skating, being artists essentially on wheels. Um, and this this was a huge uh, step in in creating that reality uh, because it brought TV money and sponsorships and big companies, and it created a tour and a circuit with prize money. Um, and it brought skaters together from around the world so that we could meet skaters from Japan and Australia and skaters from around the U.S., you know, and from Canada um, and from South America. It's just, it was, yeah, this, this was huge. We, we tell the stories a lot, you know, of just what it was like behind the scenes, you know, because we were living at 
what was called Spawn Ranch at the time, this house with a half pipe in the backyard in Westchester, California, kind of by LAX. Um, but, you know, when this came around, people would descend on LA with no money, no place to stay. And so they'd all be crashing at our house and we had the half pipe in the backyard. So people would, you know, there'd be uh, Europeans, you know, scattered all over the half pipe and under the half pipe in sleeping bags and people from New Zealand and uh, Japan, you know, sleeping in the living room again with blankets and, and uh, just like complete hash bags. house. What's that? Just like complete like flop house. Total, total yeah. flop house. And so, yeah. yeah, you're just walking over bodies in the morning down mm -hmm. all over. It was so sick. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, this sort of a sidebar story, but because we've talked about so much about kind of the artistic aspect and how kind of how that that was where I came from as a skater mm -hmm. um so and it, this is an interesting or it's interesting to me but this is a tangent that I've never really talked about but so another thing that would happen when all the skaters would get together is we had the half pipe in the backyard so there'd be rad sessions we also had p-rails that we'd bring out into the street in the front and people would skate in session on that um and that was rad too but so I had these weird you know idealistic you know um I, ideas where about skating like where i thought it was artistic you know and i always thought you know it was important to be pure and you know and um to have integrity and so when people would skate on the p-rail i thought that is so lame you know i learn on real handrails i, I don't practice on you know a foot a rail a foot off the ground i go out to you know ucla and i'm skating these real rails where i can get hurt the stakes are high you know that's that's pure, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the stakes are real. Um, and then when, you know, uh, foam pits came around, it was the same thing. It's like, I don't learn jumping into a foam pit. I learned on a real launch box, like where the, I can get hurt. Like the stakes are real. Like I always thought there was like real pride and integrity and kind of that vision of skating. Yeah. Um, and similarly, Hardcore. When, you know, what's that? Hardcore. Hardcore. Yeah, exactly. Hardcore. Right? Yeah. Punk rock attitude, right? <laughs> yeah. Like street, right. Do it yourself. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, you know, Matt Salerno came around and like, he was actually training, you know, he had like this huge aerobic capacity and he could do these long runs and he could get big air. And like, he was, you know, he, he would jog in the mornings and he'd go to the gym and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, who does that? It's like, this isn't a sport. Like I'm an artist. I skate. Mm -hmm. That's my, yeah. that's my athletic, you know, output. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, this is just a sign of maturity and looking back, but looking back, I feel like I was such an idiot. Like all those things, those, they may have been idealistic and maybe there was some kind of like punk rock or virtuous attitude, but they were all inhibitors to, to better skating. And now I think the bottom line is the product. Like you want to see, you want to do the best skating. And I think, you know, I wish I would have spent more time on P-Rails. I wish I wouldn't have had such a, a you know, such an arrogant, shitty attitude about P-Rails. I wish I would have spent more time taking advantage of Woodward, like using resi pads and foam pits. It's like, they can help you be a better, better skater than use them. Like I did actually, sure. you know, Aaron Feinberg learned a backflip. I'm like, shit, you know, I really mm -hmm. want to learn a backflip. And so we were at Woodward once. I'm like, and I felt so guilty. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to backflip into the foam pit. And so I did. And then I did a backflip on the resi pad. I'm like, all right. So I went over to the launch box and I did a backflip and I learned them and it was easy. Yeah. And it was easy because I didn't have to be scared on the launch box. I did it in the foam pit. I did it on the resi and I did it on mm -hmm. the launch box. So mm -hmm. I learned backflips and I always felt kind of shameful. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I learned it into the foam pit at Woodward, but I shouldn't feel shameful. You know, mm -mm. it's like, I should have been, I should have tried, you know, I should have tried to get harder and harder tricks. And it's like, I really feel like that held my skating back. Just having those dumb, like 
virtuous ideas that are not really, they're purely like intellectual, like abstract, you know, emotional ideas that, that I don't know, maybe there's some argument you can make for kind of like the, you know, the, the idealism. I was just about to make a a good argument for the value of that because I, I, I think, yeah, I think that that, having that perspective, like blading one of the, and you know this, I'm sure you can agree with that. Like a big part of it is not so much the tricks that are done, but the person that does them, the attitude behind the trick, the delivery, the, the, the whole culmination. And a lot of that is, you know, you had a lot of that in your attitude and that's a huge influence. And some of the people that I look up to the most and or my peers that I really like their skating, like, you know, Brandon Campbell and these guys, yeah, they're not, they're not so much like, Oh, they're the best skaters, but just like who yeah. I'm a fan of them, who yeah. they, they are as yeah. people. And then they just like do skating, which is like, that's cool too. So I, <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I can relate that to you as well as a few others, you know? You know, I appreciate that. Um, and you're right. But I, I guess the, the takeaway, I feel like, is it's possible to have it all. You, mm-hmm. you, can, sure. ha- you can have rad, ran- rad Brandon Campbell's with rad attitudes. Yeah. But if he skates a P-rail every day to get better <laughs> because he loves skating, it doesn't make his attitude any less rad. You totally, know? Yeah. He's still Brandon Campbell. Right. So I feel like some of my, my ideas were probably a little, I was a little overzealous about some ideas. And I, I think they probably held back my skating ultimately. So yeah, there's a, there's a rad, long, pointless tangent. That's some hardcore shit that you, I mean, like, you can still get a PRO right now. Backflip do, you got a, do, you got, do you got a PRO at the house? What's that? Do you have a PRO now? No, but I fan- honestly, I fantasize about it all the time. Like, how rad would it be to have one I could pull out and skate it every day? Yeah. Um, my my brother-in-law, my sister married a rollerblader, thank God. Pretty cool. Um, <laughs> and he's better than me. But he, oh, and they live in Austin. But he has a box in his garage. So I'm, I always tell him, I'm going to come out there. You know, next time I come out, I want to skate it with you. Because it, it just seems like so much fun, just a session on a, on a little P-rail. Sure. That's something that we've all been appreciating more now during the COVID thing. Everybody was skating exactly. a P-rail, a box. And I was so jealous that I lived in New yeah. York and didn't have space for a box or a yeah. P-rail or something. No, but, you're exactly right. Yeah. I think that, that I think that's why I went off on a tangent. It's been on my mind lately because so many people have been posting. Like yeah. Richard pulled a box out lately. He's been skating yeah. again. He's doing a lot of sessions on the P-rail or on his little box. Yeah, everybody's been pulling them out. So it looks yeah. fun, you know? No, it it's is. crazy. Since, since lockdown, it's like people... I don't, I have a little, obviously so many people have been coming back into blading. The companies are doing well. Like people can't keep skates in stock and wheels are out and all the OGs are popping back in and getting tricks in. And I, I don't know what it is. My little theory is that people just have that time to reflect. Like, you know, on a normal day today, you're so busy and you're just like running around doing whatever work you have to do. But when you're just sitting down, you're like, damn, you know, I used to blade. Oh, blading was fun. Let yeah. me dig up on uh, Instagram. Oh, some homies. Oh, blading still. Oh, cool. I'll yeah. do it. You know, maybe. I don't know. No, you're exactly right. You know, and another element of it is because people are trapped in their homes. I mean, they're looking for excuses to get out of the house, but you can't really go anywhere. You can't go to a bar. You can't go to a movie. So things yeah. like riding a bike or rollerblading start <clears throat> to come back to mind. Yeah, sure. definitely. All those pure things that like we grew up doing when exactly. you're all like, you know, innocent, you know, going to the bar wasn't the thing. Do you skate yeah. much nowadays? I don't. Um, Jason, you know, I live in town with Jason Reyna. And so he'll hit me up periodically because they skate regularly. There's a good. He also messaged me that he was mad that you don't go skating with him. Well, he wanted him, me to mention know, that. I don't want to mention it by name. <laughs> but no, he did he say told that. me he told me that they were going skating uh, 
I think it was on Saturday at 9.30 a.m. And I really wanted to go. But I can't go skating at 9.30 a.m. on a Saturday. I work too hard during the week. I want to sleep a little bit on the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's Texas, so you can't – they have to do it because it gets too hot during the day, so you have to go earlier. And honestly, I would have done it, but I went out to my mom's the night before. She lives an hour away. I didn't get home till like after 3 in the morning, and I just didn't get up early enough. But I was – sometimes I'll go out with them, and I really wanted to uh, this last weekend, but I'll get out with them soon. Oh, and – but by the way, I should I should – I should clarify that a little bit, actually. I haven't been going to skate parks much, but since the lockdown, I've actually been skating quite a bit because my daughter was here with me for the whole lockdown, and we would go out skating, you know, at least once a week, but it was just recreational skating, basically. We're going out skating around. Um, I live close to UTD, a campus, so we skate around the UT campus, the UT Dallas campus, um, and I love it felt good to be on wheels, you know, and just skating and like skating fast or bombing hills or whatever, you know, jumping over like, uh, the speed bumps in the road. Yeah. I mean, just dorking around, but it's something that I, you know, when you, this is a thing that's, I know is happening skating wide with everybody because there's been a movement back toward big wheels and big frames and all that stuff. Um, but you know, when you skate on little wheels, that are anti-rocker so you're kind of glued to the ground they don't turn very well um they don't roll very fast you feel every crack it takes a lot of joy out of just skating because 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 other than doing tricks the getting from point a to point b doesn't feel that great because it's sort of bumpy and um slow uh but when you put new wheels on which i did to skate with my daughter and then josh just sent me some big wheels and some big frames um I'm excited to put those on because that brings back some of the joy of just skating, you know, even beyond doing the tricks. I was going to ask if that's new for you. What's that? Sorry. Go fish. Yeah. What do you, I was saying Josh Petty sent yeah. me some big wheels and frames. <laughs> so someone sent them to him and he sent them to me. Uh, I don't know why he got rid of them. Maybe he had something else or maybe he was scared because I was scared when I got them. I mean, they're the frames are huge. <laughs> like I thought, I thought when he said big wheels, I thought he was saying me like maybe seventy millimeter, seventy-two millimeter wheels or something. These things were like over a hundred millimeter, and the frames were like you know twice as tall. And I'm thinking, how are my ankles going to support that? But I keep seeing people using them. Um, there's this guy in Dallas who's been posting a lot. Jordan, you know, he's been doing like these twenty-mile you know, uh, post where he's just skating around the city and he's like, he does videos, he skates around downtown and it just looks fun, you know, just to be yeah. skating fast. And I used to do, when I lived in Austin, we didn't grind yet. When I was skating every day, I was skating on bigger wheels, bigger frames. And I was doing, I was logging a lot of miles and I loved it. You know, I loved skating. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely into doing more of that. Um, I, I get, I gotta say I'm a little, uh, uh, did you hear that? that was yeah, what was that? What was that? <laughs> we got we got hacked. The what the fuck was that? I don't know. That freaked me out. That's it's some the deep conspiracy state. Deep shit. state trying to figure out the truth about rollerblading. <laughs> I've never heard that before. That was crazy. That Spitfire spying on us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I find it interesting that you got those from Josh. So like, you, you've kept a relationship, like in a friendship, with a lot of these people that you've you've gone back quite a ways with. I mean. If you you well, stay in touch with Josh, right? And uh, I think, like, I, I don't know, I see with John Julio, like you guys like have this- You're in BFL, right? Friendship. BFL. Oh, thank you for reminding me. Yes. Uh, happy birthday, Tori Traceder. It's Tori's birthday today. today? I to send it. Yep. I oh, send damn. Birthday shout. Yep. He's I in the BFL. Birthday. 
Uh -huh. yeah, happy birthday, birthday. Tori. Uh -huh. And I should mention, he is a, just so you know, he is a far better rollerblader than he is a fantasy football manager. He's really terrible <laughs> in the league. Um, I think he only had one win last year and not many more this year. So, but happy birthday to Tori. Yes. Yeah, happy birthday, Tori. Yeah. Do you guys have another uh, bet for this year's? Because uh, I remember that Dave Payne had a film edit one out? year. Uh, well, that is football league or fantasy football league. That is the rule. I mean, every year, whoever every gets last year. place okay. has to put up an edit. I put up one a few years ago. Yeah, Dave Payne had to do one. Um, yeah, so if you get last place, you have to put up an edit. Um, and then there's always side bets. In fact, speaking of Tory, no, I owe Dave Payne a fakey 540. <laughs> and I've owed, it, I've owed him that for a couple of years. I thought, I thought, oh, I've got that easy. But every time <laughs> I go out to skate and I start like trying to warm it up, it's a lot harder than I thought it would be. And I, I just haven't been able to do it yet. Like I can't even get myself psyched up. I don't, I don't know what, it should not be that hard, dude. I don't know what the deal is, but I haven't done a fakey 540 form yet. You gotta send it on the big wheels, the fakey five, <laughs> get the hang time. That might be it. Yeah, I just need a little extra boost. Yeah. That's all yeah. I need. Those little wheels are holding me back. <laughs> um, not yet, but I just want to let our um, live guests know that in uh 10, 15 minutes, we're going to be opening it up for questions. Um, as you guys know, we have, with our super right. chats that come in, we give half to our guests, and our guest like, uh, takes, sends it to the charity of their choosing. Um, Arlo's, or they get to keep it. but Or they get to keep it. Arlo, who has left, has decided <laughs> it's bad, to give bad it. Timing for him to leave. There you go. Water. <laughs> okay, I might have to fill too. Um, but so you wanted to do it. I'm sorry, the Institute of... They want to talk about what you want to donate your super chats to? Oh yeah, so the uh, the committee for skeptical inquiry, and they have okay. a magazine um, called Skeptical Inquirer, but they do a lot of advocating on behalf of science and reason. Um, they you know they file lawsuits uh, whenever um, uh, whenever uh, there are quack medicines, or they have a famous lawsuit against um, I think it's uh, CVS maybe in Walgreens, uh, because they still sell homeopathic uh, remedies ne right next to um, tested uh, medical remedies. Um, they challenge uh, the encroachment of religion or pseudoscience in the government sphere. Um, they advocate for science and reason and education. It's just something that's real near and dear to my heart. I'm Almost for as long as I've been into rollerblading, I've been into skepticism and critical thinking. I think especially now, it's like the most important thing. I think that it is the only way out of uh, all the things that are challenging us right now. Absolutely. Um, without reason, we are lost. And so it, to me, it's the most important cause. Um, so yeah, the um, Committee for Skeptical Inquiry is definitely where I would, I'd like to send uh, any funds. Cool. So yeah, anyone who's inclined to uh, ask questions, we're going to be getting to those right. in a little bit. And if you are inclined to do Super Chat, that is where we get uh, half of that um, super chat money is going to be going. And as always in the middle of the thing, we have to do a little bit of our spiel. Please follow us on all of our platforms, Facebook, Instagram, go to YouTube, subscribe, hit the notification bell, go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating, a review if you like. And, um, if you are in, feel inclined to, we also have a Patreon. Uh, it helps us when there's not a uh, COVID and a virus, we get to events, you know, we go to power, we go to winter clash. We try oh, to get out the Patreons this episode. 
sorry i didn't shout out the patreons the new patreons the, yeah this episode let me oh. do that let me do that now real quick yeah shout out the so real patreons. quick want to just shout out the patreon new patreons this month um dennis the menace that's his name uh danny delaney <laughs> blair edney ricky pounder and dylan pierpoint thank you so much for contributing to our patreon page um yeah before we open okay. it up i mean there's still i'm sure you got a few more things you want to talk about too um, sure. I'd also like to add, and if you'd like to have yeah. any, any comments, if you'd like to say that I ruined rollerblading or that I got rollerblading kicked out of the X Games or that I'm just a bad look rollerblading, leave your comments below. <laughs> We'd love do to hear get, them. Do you get a lot of that? I, I feel like you're like one of the guys that's like a nothing but like, do you get much hate? Well, you've never been on BMAG or you were <laughs> never on BMAG or roller sure. back in the day. Sure. It's, Damn, people yeah, straight would blame are, you for that, for X yeah, Games. I definitely get yeah. my detractors. But yes, it, I think that when you put yourself out there and especially someone like me who I am obviously opinionated, I have strong opinions. And I also, I, tr you know, I take a lot of risks. I, I do things that are, I, I try not to do things that are conventional and mm -hmm. I don't always nail it. I don't always get it right. And sure. so there's plenty that I've done that is um, that you could find fault with. And so I've had, I've had my share of uh, critics and detractors over the years for sure. And a lot of it deserves. So I, I'm, I'm open to it. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I guess you could find anything on BMAG with hating on any old thing. It's kind of like BMAG was like the precursor to like what is now social media hatred and toxicity. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, try to, I try to leave all of that and uh, spend a bare minimum on those platforms as I can and give as little uh, credence to those kind of things as possible. But I think generally most people regard you and your contribution as good other than those few uh, people doing that. Yeah, so, people like when, when you at the Blading Cup last year, like for the what was it called the legends contest or what was it called like the old man contest what are they calling it uh -huh. okay well whatever that is you came out when everyone was like warming up and you got like a standing ovation from everybody as you like skated onto the skate course for the uh -huh. first time like fucking people love you man yeah no see, listen I, i'm not complaining They're, yeah just, <laughs> I, I know, right i know there are critics out there yeah. but i also get a lot of love and i feel it and I, i'm really grateful and appreciative for the the rollerblading community so I, yeah i have no complaints and as i said even the people that are critics like i said i've done a lot that deserves criticism also i i kind of respect their opinion i can see where they're coming from so yeah i get it um one of our uh, guests in the super chat he gives, gives a super chat and he says tell us a blade story about petty that few know and i'm sure you have a few because uh even just the stories you were telling in the beginning of uh, the USD video were pretty entertaining. And uh, did the skate park for the hoedowns, he said, how did you acquire that? That's what I was going to talk about next. The, uh, how the did whole you acquire Eisenberg. what? The skate park for the hoedowns, Eisenbergs. How did we acquire the skate park? Yeah. Is that what they said? Yeah, he said, <laughs> he said how did you acquire the skate park for hoedowns? <laughs> um, so before i moved to california but after i discovered skating and i was skating in texas a lot for the first few years before i moved to california and my grandfather who was still alive at the time um you know obviously my whole family knew i was skating a lot and this, this was my passion and there were a few public skate parks or no there were a few skate parks were they public yeah i guess if you skate outdoors no i guess they're probably you probably had to pay to skate um, but they were outdoors. Outdoor. So skate time was a big one. It, it, that's a legendary skate park um, <laughs> out here um, from way back in the day, from the skateboarding days, even before, way before rollerblading existed. Um, but uh, 
I used to go there as a skateboarder. So when I discovered rollerblades, I'd go the same place. I went to skate time. Um, and uh, they had a, a big half pipe out by the side of Bachman Lake out here in Dallas. It was a, it's a nationally famous half pipe because it, they, they took it from an old circus performance. So the half pipe was made of fiberglass. Most half pipes are either, you know, uh, wood with a masonite surface or they're metal, which is kind of gnarly in Texas because you can mm. cook an egg on yeah. them. Yeah. But fiberglass <laughs> was unique. Um, it was really fast because it was a hard, smooth surface, but it also was very unforgiving. If you fell on it, you would get gnarly like burns yeah. uh, from it. Um, but it was, you know, it had these, it was fiberglass because they would, they had like these clear circles throughout it. So it, because it was for a circus, so if they could shine lights through it, like lights would flash as you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. and it had these cool like <laughs> patterns, like, you know, it was like blue and yellow and had like these red <laughs> stars. So it's just kind of like this really photographic distinctive ramp so you'd always notice it when they took pictures of it like in old skateboard magazines it was like this famous ramp it's called the clown ramp and in fact when we opened eisenberg skate park just to jump ahead which was years later we got uh pieces from the clown ramp and put it into our our ramp so just kind of as a nod to like texas history and the legacy of skateboarding and skating in texas so that was really cool mm. um but so I used to skate at skate time and then, then later when Jeff Phillips opened and then that became Rapid Revolutions. But so there weren't really, uh, there weren't public parks yet that cities were building like we have everywhere now. It was just those few private places that you could go. Um, and so I used to drive around with my grandfather. He always thought it would be cool to build a skate park. Like it was something that, you know, he was retired then and he thought it'd be something cool to invest in and like it could sort of, is something maybe he could run. Um, and so we'd go and he owned uh, scrap yards, like places where people would bring their junk and they separate the metal and they pay you for your metal and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so he kind of knew like the kind of like the warehousey industrial parts of town and like we'd go around and look at vacant spaces like he sort of had this idea we'd do a skate park. Um, it never happened. He passed away. I moved to California. But then years later, after I won the X Games, kind of the idea resurfaced and my mom, who you know, also kind of had, had always had visions, even as a young girl herself, not of having a skate park, but kind of like running a camp. Like she's always been kind of a natural teacher and um, a, a leader of young people. Um, so this idea reemerged to open a skate park. Um, and so it ended up becoming a real family enterprise. My parents who divorced when I was very young, probably one or two years old, um, and both have gone on to remarry um, but they kind of joined forces to undertake the skate park endeavor. Um, my father sought out and we looked and found land. He bought a, an old, uh, antique store in what was old historic downtown Plano, um, right next to the train tracks. Uh, my mom would be like the manager of the park. She ran it. My stepdad, Essie became like a fixture of the park is like the face of the retail area. He was a manager and ran it for a long time. My sister worked there. That's how she met her husband, who's a rollerblader. So the skate park became like the, the center focus of our family and our life. For 15 years, the skate park was open. And so for a whole like generation of people in the, in the region, they grew up at the skate park. Um, we had concerts like for local bands on the weekends. Mm -hmm. uh, we had lock-ins. We had the hoedown every year. So, and I lived in California the whole time that the skate park was open. I would come back for the hoedown and I would come back to do summer camp. Um, but the whole time the skate park was open, I was not here. But since I've moved back to Texas, you know, which only six years ago, 
after the skate park closed, I run into people all the time who know the skate park. When I tell them my name, mm-hmm. they don't even oh, know shit. me, but they know they, they're like, Oh, like Eisenberg skate park. I'm like, yeah, that was oh, that's park. fucking cool. And they're like, dude, <laughs> I, th- I spent my whole youth there. Yeah. It's so cool. That's sick. Um, it's all I've gotten out of speeding tickets because cops, you know, grew what? up there. I mean, it's crazy what an influence. Like people all the time, like especially when I have to hand, like if I'm paying for something, right? If I go to get a hamburger, you know, at a, at a hamburger place, and they see my my uh, my card, and they're like, "Oh, like Eisenberg's? I'm like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Hey, this is on us," you know. What? We, no yeah, way. It doesn't happen all the time, but it definitely does happen. It's it feels really cool. Um, and I know that, that happens for, you know, for my mom too, and for my family. So it's it's a, like a real nice feeling that you know to feel kind of beloved by the community. Oh, yeah, that's, that's like a better really cool. town. Yeah. yeah, little local celebrity. One of the things that I loved about Eisenberg's the skate park was yeah. like it made it different than any other skate park. Like all the memorabilia that you had, like going exactly, into the place. Yeah. It was like like a museum, what happened to all that? Yeah. yeah, what happened to all that? That the skate park is gone now. Um. Some of it went to some of it went back to the people that it came from. Oh, really? Some of it went to I think Tom Smith has a museum, a blading museum. I think he took over some of it. Um, some of it's in my garage right now, honestly. Um, some of it my mom might still have. What was some like the know. coolest things that you remember from the memorabilia? I remember like I don't know if it was like your maybe your X Game skates were there or something like that. Yeah, but you had and really my cool X-Games shit. Gold medal. Um, the jersey I wore during the X Games and a, an X Games like scoring sheet from the Be Love Harden like sign like it was his score sheet. Um, we, you know, people ask all the time about what happened to Tom Servo. Tom Servo was at the skate park. No, um, Tom Servo is the. No, I know what Tom machine, Servo. Yeah. Whatever the gum, gumball machine from Hooks yeah. too. Um, Tom Servo was at the skate park for a long time. I don't know where Tom Servo is. Um, I also have like a beta cam that, you know, uh, that Evan and Craig used to film hoax to like that, because back oh, then we didn't shit. use, Damn, we didn't use cool. digital cameras. They were filming on film. Um, and I have that camera in my garage right now. We did a, uh, like a hoax reunion on zoom not too long ago. And I told Evan about that. And he's like, he's like, I want that camera. So I'll probably send that to him pretty soon. That is super sick. I didn't know you had that. I meant to ask yeah. you about that hoax reunion Zoom call too, because you guys like tease the pictures of it, like the screenshot, whatever. That yeah. was just for fun. Nobody like recorded that or anything. Yeah, it was just for fun. And in fact, you know, because I'm I'm such a windbag, and sometimes I'll just get on to telling a story or something. I'm always like performing, and so I did that. I told like some story, and someone was like, "Dude, Arlo, we're this is not we're not publishing this. This is we're just talking here. We're like, who are you talking to?" Um, but Brooke did record the whole thing. So he, he oh, okay. could put it out. He should put it out. It's great content. It was really great to catch up with everyone. That should definitely be online. I think yeah, that would definitely. get like, that would break records on in, in the blading world on YouTube views. I think. Hey, tell Brooke, he's got it. He's got the whole thing recorded. All right. Everybody who's watching message Brooke. He's <laughs> on Instagram. I think his Instagram, it's like hunter for the builder builder yeah people. hunter for the builder people i spoke right. to him not too long ago he's pretty accessible yeah, yeah. um yeah he's man but uh, i didn't know tom servo was at the skate park for that long i didn't know that we got to locate tom servo yeah and i think that that's true it's it's possible i'm just making that up and i'm just <laughs> picturing like we had other candy machines 
at the skate park and I'm assuming those were Tom Servo, but I'm pretty no, sure. I believe. No, no, no. I'm pretty I'm sure we had a broken Tom Servo in the skate park as memorabilia for ages. Yeah, I, I, I'm sticking with that. I'm believing. I, I want to believe that. <laughs> yeah, let's stick with that. <laughs> yeah, totally. And uh, Tracy White has a museum also of skating yeah. memorabilia. He may have got some of this stuff as well. Hmm. And like, I still have like a box of the original Nist shirts, which are cool because they, you know, they have a giant Taco Bell logo on the front, but on the back, it's got each skater's name and their number. Um, and so I've got a few of those and I might send those to Tom or to Tracy. It'd be nice to find a nice home for them. And these guys that are kind of like hanging on and preserving the, the legacy and the memory of, of skating, it'd be, it'd be nice to have it in their hands. Mm -hmm, definitely. We need I thought, that stuff for yeah, a Blade yeah. Museum for sure. Mm -hmm. I thought you would have kept like your garage or something like that, but sending them, putting them back to their original home is definitely a good idea too. I'm sure all yeah. those people are happy to even have that stuff back. Yeah, I've, I've got a, I might have the, like these busted ass shorts that B-Love wore in Hoax 2. Um, he probably wants those back. I think everyone's always going to hit me <laughs> up and be like, hey, do you have my stuff? Um, but yeah, I have some random things. Why do you get, why do you have a shorts? Why is shorts out of all things? They were because we had some weird, like people contributed stuff to the skate park. They, they gave us kind of mementos um, from their career. So we had like B-Love's famous like tube socks and his shorts. Like we basically had oh, a, whole, yeah, okay. <laughs> a whole hoax two outfit and we had like right. a thriller shirt or something. And so they were all like encased in like this, you know, this clear mm -hmm. plexiglass display. But now it's all been taken down. So I have the stuff. So yeah. That's why I have it. Wow. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, Chris Gonzalez says, what kind of impact do you think Santa Ana has had on rollerblading and you personally? The city has some old roots within rollerblading, in my opinion. Yeah, it's funny. We would joke that Santa Ana was like a, uh, a halfway house for like retiring rollerbladers, <laughs> sort of like a rollerblading retirement community. Right. Because there was a time where we all kind of descended on Santa Ana. Uh, Brian Kanoski was the first one because they basically downtown Santa Ana is the downtown of Orange County. It has the courthouse. It's got old buildings. It has a downtown district um, and downtown Santa Ana, I think, or Santa Ana, the city. I don't know if this is still accurate, but like has the most dense like Hispanic population of any city in the U.S. I think mm -hmm. that's right. Um, and so downtown is, is largely Hispanic. It's got the, like the first language. If you go through downtown is Hispanic, the signs, the businesses are all in Spanish. Um, a lot of the downtown businesses are like, uh, quinceanera shops and, uh, um, things like that. Um, but so, uh, the downtown like undertook this sort of revitalization, uh, project where they wanted to. Uh, bring artists into downtown because usually bringing in artists is like the first step of gentrification. Sure. And I'm telling this whole story like without passing any judgment one way or the other, whether yeah. it's a good or a bad thing. But this is kind of this is how it happened in Santa Ana. Yeah. Um, and so they built these lofts, which would be live work spaces to bring in artists and bring in a kind of you know people to live there. Um, and so BK was an early adopter. He got one of the first lofts. He moved in. And so we were friends and he started telling his friends, hey, there's this great opportunity in Santa Ana. It's a cool spot. It's downtown. Um, it's relatively inexpensive. Um, and uh, and they're, it's, they're just doing it right now. And they're, they're sort of like they want to make it kind of like this cool artistic community. 
Um, and I happen to have just gotten divorced recently. So I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of in the market for a new place. So I, and I was living in Venice at the time. So it was kind of a big move for me to go all the way to Orange County. But I started looking into it and I, I put a deposit. I got one of the lofts. It hadn't even been built yet. Um, Jess Darrenport uh, got a loft down there. John Julio got a loft down there. Matt, uh, Randy Spicer got a loft, loft down there. Um, I think Matt may have been living with Randy. So all the, Matt Andrews. So all these rollerbladers now. All hey, Kevin sudden, Gillen like, was down there. Kevin Gillen. Kevin uh, Gillen. But he's staying with Randy at, at some point, I think down there. Oh yeah, that might yeah. be right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. There's a whole nother crew of guys that I associate with Long Beach, like Kevin Gillen and JC Rowe and Richard yeah. and um, uh, Matt Moya. Um, but, so, but so yeah, so all these rollerbladers you know, who are getting on kind of later in their careers and their lives. And most of us, we'd all moved on kind of like to other careers. I actually was working with Randy at a, a different uh, agency at the time, a creative agency. Um, and, but it all kept, it kept us all in touch, right? And we would go, you know, there's, there is, there is a public park in Santa Ana. So we skate the park together. Um, John, obviously, would go on to become kind of like the boss, the commissioner of rollerblading. Um, and Jess was doing 50-50 uh, and England out of his garage, out of his loft. Um, I was doing Ghost out of my loft. Um, I don't know if Randy was doing, I don't know if Second Regime was still a thing around then or... Um, or uh, what was his skate company called? Deshi. Deshi. Deshi, yeah, thanks, mm -hmm. Deshi. Um, but Randy is definitely doing his fishing company out of yeah, his loft now. His downstairs is yeah. all fishing stuff. Exactly. I was there yeah. a few months ago. <laughs> yeah, his, that operation is pretty sick. Um, and John, you know, we don't have to even talk about all mm -hmm. the things he's doing now with them. Um, so, yeah, so Santa, and so. Now, John, more than anything, is the reason Santa Ana, you could say it's so influential in the, the world of rollerblading, because because of John now, we have the, you know, we have the Blade Cup every year is in downtown Santa Ana. Downtown Santa Ana has become a good partner to rollerblading. They make the space, they, they work with John to get rollerblading and feature it downtown every year. Um, they've been good working with him to have the space for um, the, you know, the, the exhibitions that he has to have the video premieres. I mean, Santa Ana has been a great friend to rollerblading. Um, and yeah, good question. Good question. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's ever sort of been explicitly acknowledged the role hmm. that that city plays in kind of like the, the history of rollerblading. And that's really sick that they, you know, it's such a big step to have like a city that's like one of the bigger cities. I mean, at least in that region and that area in California, like hosting rollerblading, that's in an area that's been so big in skateboarding and like so big, like mm -hmm. skateboarding, locking down Southern California, just having Santa Ana, like highlighting a blading event right in the center there downtown, right by like the market over there. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. And, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into the politics of it because th this will be sort of me sort of venturing into areas where I'm, I'm actually not that educated and I'll, I'll, there's a good chance I will kind of misrepresent things. But the opportunities that I've had to go back to Santa Ana and see how it's progressed and developed, it is really exciting to go there. The, the, the businesses that they brought in, like the way that they've, what they've done kind of with the food courts and kind of the smaller 
the more boutique uh, mm-hmm. food offerings that they have and the small boutique retailers that they have. It's really cool, has a cool energy and it feels nice because it feels like it is well integrated with the, the, the community there. It's like, it doesn't feel like they're two separate things. Like, oh, here's the, you know, here's the affluent white people coming in and pushing out, you know, the, the, uh, the original people that were here, mm-hmm. um, the original community. It feels like it's interwoven where like Hispanic people are opening their own businesses in these spaces. And you're seeing mm-hmm. this sort of cross hybridization where you get these cool like um, Hispanic influence spots, you know, um, mm-hmm. or Hispanic owned, but kind of like catering to kind of like a younger, hipper crowd. Sure. Um, it just, it feels like it has a really cool, like authentic energy. And so it's, it's fun to go back there and see how it's happening. No, I, I like it there. Like anytime uh, my girl and I are down there, we love to go to that market and just like getting some nice food and a nice yeah. little beer. It's like a little area. area. Yeah. But I, yeah, that actually a bit of what you were talking about before leads into our next question right here from our cool. friend Topher. Um, I'm actually fascinated what you think on this too in the hypothetical what would be world. Um, with sites like Sports Illustrated and, e- Sports Illustrated and ESPN slash X Games posting blading c- clips in recent months, how would you feel about the sport returning to a larger stage? Parentheses X Games. That's Hypothetically, <laughs> in this in the scenario. Uh, what was the first thing you said with with side what sports? With with, with sites. sites like Sports oh, oh, Illustrated oh, oh. and ESPN yeah. X Game posting blading clips. Like uh, I don't know if you know, but on like um, Sports Illustrated was posting some uh-huh. uh, street yeah, skating clips, and Nitro Circus has put out yeah, a big thing on Pathy. So it seems yeah. like you know ESPN and these bigger sites with like a million or more followers are starting to put out some random street blading clips mm-hmm. so yeah it's interesting what would what, what would you think about uh if it went to a larger stage or something like the x games at this point yeah um so we've established that you know that i came up kind of like with this diy punk attitude and um i had a bad uh ending with the x games i was fired that's been well documented mm-hmm. um rollerblading was dropped from the x games you know unceremoniously i feel like there's a lot of bitter feelings left over uh from how that all went down um but all of that said uh i think it would be the best thing in the world i have no reservations um or objections to rollerblading being welcomed back on a larger stage i think that it would be the best thing in the world for rollerblading. i think that the people that skate now um, are too talented, work too hard, uh, risk too much to not be getting paid. And the only way they can get paid is if people see what they're doing and they're on a larger stage. Rollerblading needs to be on the X Games. I think it's great that Nitro Circus uh, has been such a good ally and friend to rollerblading. Put it on Sports Illustrated. Put it on the latest Disney movie. Wherever you want to put it, mm-hmm. I have no objections. Sell it out. You yeah. know, let people know what they're doing and let these skaters get paid because they deserve it. Feel that. That's, Put, that's how I feel about it. Feel that. I've been saying for a long time, man, I'll do a soul grind on the side of a speed stick or an Old Spice. Exactly. Yep. Deodorant thing any day. <laughs> yep. Any day. Old Spice, hit me up. Yeah. Back yeah. in the day, you said that, well, I guess it might have been from like the Barely Dead interview where you talk about the X Games, but you said that rollerblading wasn't ready for the X Games. And that was kind of the reason why you got all that backlash and it failed. And now you're saying we are definitely ready for it. And I, I agree with you too. I think we're definitely ready for something like that. Um, did you see a time in skating in between then and now when you think blading would have been a good time to be uh, televised on the X Games or just in the mainstream? 
Yeah. Um, we, I mean, the irony is by the time we got kicked out, I think it, it already was ready for the main stage for prime time. I mean, when, when we got kicked out on, on Burt, you already had the Osotoga brothers. You had Ty Chris, you had uh, Mark Englehart, Shane Josh, you had all these guys, mm. Matt Lindy, Fabiola. They were doing double backflips. Guys were already trying triple backflips. I mean, the Yasutokos consistently are airing over head height, you know, double head height. I mean, mm. that that is spectacular television. Um, and on street, you you know, we already had Aaron Feinberg happen. You had the French skaters. You had um, Jaron Grobe had won a couple of titles. I mean, you had big names and people doing credible big tricks. Skating looked good. Uh, I think from any point then on, it was already ready for the big stage. It's just we we had we we were being penalized for kind of our transgressions before then um and so it just it all added up to kind of a, a bad end for rollerblading but but i don't think that there was sort of any inflection point between getting kicked out and now where it's like oh now we're ready ready to mm -hmm. be back on the main stage i think we were already by already ready by that point chris happy existed yeah um Alex existed, Shima existed. I mean, it's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Skating was at such a high level in the mid 2000s when all that shit was going on. And you're right. Like even talking about Vert in particular, the Asutokos, yeah. no one was touching them in any sport. No. Exactly, and yeah. Yeah, street skating, Haffy, Shima, Feinberg, yeah. all those guys were doing the most insane things on street. Now yeah. you're absolutely right. That was like the heyday of people just fucking sending it. But I will say another thing, I think that it, it just sort of is a side tangent, but kind of, again new material new ideas that have been percolating but because you know watching because feast is something that has you know has continued to include rollerblading on on their main stage along with the other action sports the the big french contest every year mm -hmm. um oh my god why is my daughter trying to face me right now sorry <laughs> why is it show up on our side can y'all y'all can't see her can you no it's like yeah. some thumbnail came up of like legs i don't know whose legs they were crazy what is she doing <laughs> and i have my phone on do not disturb but she's the only person who has like break in maybe that's uh, her like hacking in the the microphones before uh -huh. <laughs> you know even when i posted like i told people like i'm going on live you know whatever an hour and she like loved it you know like so i know she knows <laughs> teenagers kids um but so uh, but so the feast contest, I assume it's called feast F I S. -E. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, they, uh, they put on a great event every year and, you know, and it attracts great skaters. But so as I've watched the evolution of this contest and I see kind of like what skating looks like, because they build these, like these crazy giant courses with transitions Massive. and, yep. you know, all, and so, you know, you got CJ Wellsmore and Joe Atkinson's and like these guys that are, you know, they're amazing. It's just amazing hybrid you know skill set where they they're flipping and doing these amazing spins and giant transfers and they're also spinning up to giant walls and doing like these incredible grinds and like the, it's like the total package and mm. you know we got a hint of it with like uh aaron feinberg and stefano fano and these guys in the early days in the competition skating but they really these skaters now have really taken it to the next level and i feel like our d my diy attitude kind of held it back in the beginning because we could sort of frowned on flips like we were like, you know, we're raw and gritty and street. Don't focus on the transitions, focus on the grinds, you know, and flipping is not real street skating. Um, but now it's like, you see what, and again, it's kind of like this Woodward influence, which I, I 
was reluctant to embrace in the early days, but you know, BMX street courses and what scooters do with the guys on scooters, it's all so impressive and gnarly. And it's a lot of transition with, you know, technical elements. And I feel like rollerbladers are starting to do that as well. And whereas I used to always kind of bristle at it and think, you know, that's not, that's not pure or, or raw or whatever. Now it's like, I want to see more of it. It's like, you sh- these guys should be jumping, you know, flipping into their yeah. dropping, mm-hmm. right? The, the like amplitude every, aspect like, of it. thing you can do, milk it, yeah. stretch it, and like make it bigger and bolder. Like it's rad. No, I completely agree. Like the, uh, the amplitude aspect with the, the showmanship and the technicalities yeah. is bringing everything together. The culmination yeah. is just incredible. Yeah. Um, we got, first of all, I just want to thank you. We've had you on for a bit. We're going to do a yeah. few more questions and okay. I would love to get you on sometime again in the future. Cause you sure. are just, there's so much to talk to you about. Um, there's a couple of questions here on the thing, but I have to ask a personal one because you sure. mentioned uh, the, the feast with the BMX and that and everything. What was, and, and forgive me if this has been asked or documented, but what was it like um, during Day of the Rope with like Dennis McCoy and those guys? I thought that was so cool that Senate had that affiliation with those, um, you know, I forgot, it's not Roadhouse, but there was a name like that, like Rooftop. Rooftop. Rooftop, yeah. Okay, so Rooftop and Dennis McCoy and uh, these guys. And I just remember being like, oh my God, like these like cross collaborations and these guys yeah. and they, were those guys accepting of blading and were those guys like cool like what was that like because you know i think as i think bladers have, at least uh, in my generation there's a lot of bladers with uh, a built-in defense mechanism from receiving so much hate from like every aspect so you just like uh, uh, you just mm-hmm. always assume that maybe it's not going to be cool like that but it seems that that was pretty cool like they were in the video yeah. they're on senate so it was cool and so the the bmx riders were dennis mccoy who you said in rooftop, Mike Escamilla and uh, Rick Thorne and Dave Mira, rest in peace. But incredibly, wow. we had Dave Mira, who's like a legend, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, but that just goes to show you how, you know, how far their industry had to come also. Cause you know, you asked, you know, did they respect skating or like, were they into skating at all? And they definitely respected our paycheck, right? We were paying mm-hmm. them yeah. and they weren't getting a whole lot of sponsorships from their own industry. Um, but we did actually tour with them a lot. That's just, there was a circuit back then. We were doing a lot of events that had skateboards and rollerblades and, and bikes. Um, and we were going to the same competitions. So I had real genuine, genuine friendships like with Dennis and Rooftop. Rooftop used to come to the Senate offices all the time and give us input uh, and Rick Thorne. I didn't know Dave Mira as well, but he was always cool. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, it was always a part of like this, this attitude and this vision of not really seeing borders or subscribing to convention. Like if people wanted to say, okay, well, there are these factions and these, these teams, you know, these, these tribes, there's rollerbladers versus skateboarders versus BMX. It's like, I wasn't trying to see that. It's like, I thought if, you know, if my, if my friends can be BMXers and if we could have put skateboarders on Senate, then cool. So be it. And it's like, we can transcend kind of boundaries and conventional definitions. Um, but you know, I don't know how well all that, how all well all that translates or even if those kinds of communications are clear, but that, uh, that kind of like was sort of what guided my inspiration, at least behind those things. And for, for a time, I thought it was really rad. I love, it made me feel proud to see them wearing Senate and to, and to you know, be able to 
forge those relationships, you know, crossing kind of those lines. Did you ever try getting skateboarders on Senate? Like you did have BMXers? I don't think so, but it wasn't really the same situation. And I don't, I don't know if it would have gone over as well. I mean, because with BMXers, at least there was still kind of like that outcast element. Skateboarders weren't really in need of sponsors. Mm. They had plenty of sponsors to go around. Sure. Um, they weren't really outcast. They were already like the heroes, you know? Um, so no, I don't, I don't know that that ever went anywhere or that we ever pursued it very seriously. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, thank you. Yeah. Fish, by the way, um, I should have told you this earlier. I, for some reason I can't scroll to see like the super chats and the questions and shit for some reason. Okay. And I don't want to refresh it because I don't want to mess up the live stream. Okay. I, I got so it. don't um, pressure on you, but I can't, no, I cool. can't help out with the questions or anything I, right I now. I got it. Bad. Um, Tucker Freeland. He says, I remember you working with, I didn't know this. I remember you working with Skrillex and did a collab with him on a shirt. How did you end up working with Skrillex and how was he to work with? I didn't know that. It's pretty cool. I didn't know that either. Yeah. That's a crazy sort of little sidebar. Yeah. Most people don't know that, I guess. Um, so in Orange County, when I was doing Ghost, um, I got hooked up with this guy, Dan Senna, who was doing, he did a weekly event at a club in Orange County called the Detroit Bar. Um, he was a DJ and he produced music. Um, and he, his weekly event was called Busy Work. Um, and through a mutual friend of ours, a, a guy named Guillermo, who worked with me at Ghost, who I used to work with Paul Frank, uh, we call him Gmo. Uh, Gmo hooked me up with Dan Senna because um, I'm giving you guys too much information, but Gmo also used to DJ at BusyWork. So I started sponsoring BusyWork with Ghost. And so every week I would go out, you know, to Detroit Bar, I'd hang up my Ghost banners, I'd set up a table with Ghost merch. And it's like really cool. Like we'd brand it like this event with Ghost. And I would do the flyers every uh, week for the new. Uh, busy work event and sometimes they would have guest uh, DJs and so I got you know DJ mom jeans was uh, Danny Masterson from that 70s show so I did okay. a DJ, I did a show with him Steve Aoki we I did a flyer with him oh, uh, no kid way. sister uh, I don't know if y'all know kid sister but I did a flyer with for her and um, for <laughs> her brother is Josh Young Who's, who also is a rollerblader, but he's also a pretty big DJ. Now his name is Yeah Me Too. Uh, I forget what his name used to be, but he was in, uh, uh, I think he was in Chromio. But anyway, so there, so I was making all these connections through doing this show with this weekly event with uh, Busy Work and through the Ghost Brand sponsorship. And so one of the emerging DJs who Dan Sinna hooked me up with to do flyers for his shows was Skrillex. Um, and his name actually was Sonny Moore. He used to be a, a um, a, what's it called? Hardcore, not hardcore. What do you call that kind of music? Was it hardcore? Like, it like screamo, like, emo? Yeah, kind of like that, yeah. Like that? Um, what was he in? Was it in First to Last or Dead to Life? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, the Skrillex, Skrillex, I think it's First to Last or something. Or... Was it First to Last? Is that I the name so. of the band? So, yeah, so, but he was Sonny Moore, and I only say that because I remember the, so I did some flyers for him, but I think I did flyers for him as Sonny Moore, and then he, since, so then I made a relationship with him that way through doing the flyers for his shows, and then he wanted to do a t-shirt, and so I met with him and his manager at, in Santa Ana, where everything was happening, and we went to dinner, 
And they're like, yeah, we want to do a shirt. And we were kind of talking about ideas for the shirt. And, uh, and he goes, and I, and he goes, and I'm trying to think about, you know, how to brand it. Like, should I do Sunny more and keep it Sunny more? Cause I already have people that know me as Sunny. He's like, or I'm thinking about like my DJ name, using my DJ name. I have this new DJ name, name Skrillex. Um, and he wasn't sure yet. And I didn't know. And my feeling kind of at the time was like, you know, don't, don't dilute your brand with too many names. If people know you, you as Sunny, go as Sunny. Of course, I would prove to be, I proved to be really wrong on that. Yeah. Of course, he went with Skrillex and, and I did, you know, I made the shirt, said Skrillex and had this cool little illustration I made with, with him, a cartoon of him walking with my ghost character. This guy you see oh, back shit. here, and my it's ghost like... character is pulling a noose. I'll, it's cool. I'll, I'll send you guys the art or show you a JPEG of it because it's kind of rad. And yeah. to this day, people hit me up all the time. They're like, "Hey, you know, you don't know how hard I look to find you, but did you do the sunny? I mean, the Skrillex uh, ghost T-shirt?" Um, they're like, "Can I please? Do you have any more of those? How can I get one?" It's like people look for them, um, but we did a very limited run, and I don't think we ever reran them. I probably have one in my drawer somewhere. Um, but yeah, it was a cool little project with Sonny Moore. And then I did a couple more show posters for him after that. But, and he, you know, when he would do shows in LA, which weren't in nightclubs anymore, he did like big venues. And uh, I remember he invited me and my girlfriend at the time out once. And we went and like his, his girlfriend at the time came and picked us up in a golf court, a golf cart. I think that's what they call this thing. And drove us around the parking lot, you know, in this huge stadium to to go backstage and watch the show it was so sick man so yeah that's a cool little story i didn't know that, that no one really knows yeah that's, that's super cool skrillex before yeah. he was skrillex yeah you definitely make a few bucks you reran those shirts seriously i you know i there have been times where i've wondered i've thought about but i don't know is that kind of like being sketchy to him like just start yeah sure. it's so like you could just that. message him now too he probably has yeah. like you know pr guys and shit it's funny. I, I swear, I'm sure I still have his number in, in my phone. I don't know if he's, it's still the same, but I should just be like, hey, can yeah. I run these, rerun these shirts? <laughs> yeah, I'll probably I'll give you, you I'll give you a, I'll give you a cut. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think he's okay. <laughs> here's here's your 50 bucks cut. Yeah, right. Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> uh, are there um, more questions, Billy? So I know yeah, we've been I, going think, for a while. I think, well, we got, we got like one or two more. We'll just do these and we'll, we'll cut it. Um, This one's... Okay um interesting south central blade cup club who gave hey, it by the way if because the mavericks started playing about an hour ago if anyone knows the score don't say anything don't let me okay. know because i'm recording it i'm going to watch it after this thing i can't see any comments or anything right now so don't don't try to ruin this okay cool um we'll get you out of here in a second um hey it's recording i'm in no hurry cool <laughs> Oh, thank South you. Central Blade Cub Club says, I miss the ghost brand stuff. Can I please get a shirt to be framed? Do you have anything left? Is, is it all gone? Uh, I mean, huh. Most of what I have is like my own personal collection. Most of my personal collection is all tore up. Mm -hmm. um, huh, that's a good question. Because I, I feel like I do have some stash of some stuff somewhere. I don't know. And I'm trying to think, I wonder if like uh, roller warehouse still has any old inventory, like you could check places like that oh, yeah. or, or heat and skate or something. Yeah. Um, heat and skate would have it. They might have some quadruple XLs left. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you could check and you know, every once in a while, like, like every once in a while I'll do a, a collab with someone like with intuition, we did the, uh, um, the uh, Arbonites t-shirt like just a year ago, which was basically a new ghost graphic. Um, 
had the little, it's like a Mexican ghost wearing a sombrero and like big mustache. Mm -hmm. um, so there are, there's kind of like ghost stuff out there. You could get those from intuition. Even though Matt, if you're watching this, I did an update to that graphic because it's always bothered me. I did something kind of wrong with the lettering. And so I fixed it. I need to send him new art if he ever reruns it. So mental note, contact that Matt, send him new updated art. Maybe that'll motivate him to rerun some ghost stuff then. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. We could always, that's an option. We could just rerun some new ghost stuff. Like, like maybe I could do it with Matt or something. I have like a special limited edition run and let people get those. Yeah. It's like uh, in the industry, there's not that many clothing brands anymore. Yeah. It's, it's uh, funny because it used to be away. all there was in the industry. Yeah. <laughs> I know. But we could do some more of that. So yeah, if you ever funny. did run something like that, it'd be cool for, you know, people to buy. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm not that interested in, starting a brand right now it's just it takes so much work to do it all yeah but if i did a collab with matt let him handle all the production and then he could worry about selling them and stuff like that um and then i just sit on the couch and collect a paycheck sure that could yeah. work or maybe yeah, do a new graphic yeah you can do that with us too if you want you that know we have an dope. online store as well so you, you, you guys can make it happen yeah so i'm i'm taking offers send me your best offer cool <laughs> we'll get some kind of ghost collab going on. that'd be there. sick to do a jump street ghost sick. collab that'd be fucking yeah. dope my thing started scrolling by the way fish so oh, I, cool. I saw like we were at um but now that i can see this yeah we're, ron we're, hunter we're oh ron hunter yeah is that the real ron hunter i wonder if that's the that's, real ron, that's ron, ron hunter, hunter? But he, he, he mentioned something great. It's my favorite ad. Brian Bell doesn't skate for Senate. I'm not yeah. sure how much you spoke about this before in the past, but never, never spoke about this. Okay. This is perfect then because that's yeah. like a, such a recognizable ad from the nineties, yeah. which was, oh, I love that. Ad. Yeah. This, that ad was, was probably, a great ad. Was that was kind of bread? one of the things that hooked me when I was a kid. When I saw that, I thought that was the coolest ad ever. Yeah. yeah. That was really good. I mean, I'll, I'll pat my back on that one. That was really, <laughs> yeah, for I sure. liked that one a lot. That's good. That, explain that's explain like it first for people who don't know about it, I oh. guess. So for, with Senate, we, we, you know, obviously we ran ads in the skate magazines, but so Brian Bell was a great skater at the time. You know, he was sort of like at the, it, he, for Brian Bell, I always associate Brian Bell with like, you know, he was the quintessential kind of like, you know, street skater of the time with the big jeans, the big chain mm -hmm. wallet. But he was also, he was doing the gnarly like transfers on King Rails, jumping from one rail yeah. to another rail. I mean, like I always think of Brian kind of like, is that really pushing the limits on street skating um, and doing like doing gnarly tricks on gnarly rails. And he came out of the San Diego scene, right? So there were a lot of like kind of cool skaters that came up with him at the same time. Um, Ernie and Lurch and all those guys. Um, but so Brian was getting a lot of, attention i thought he was a really like um noticeable and influential skater at the time and he might have been skating for hyper or meets or something kind of lame um and <laughs> so this might have come up this is kind of sketchy but this might have come up because like you know a lot of my friends were photographers and bk you know was a partner in senate and so it may have been that we had access to these photographs, like that they were shooting, not necessarily of Senate skaters, but like BK and Jess would go out and shoot for Daily Bread or the, the magazines at the time. Um, and so maybe there was this great shot of Brian Bell, um, but we, you know, and we maybe we didn't have great shots of our own skaters. I thought, this is the shot I want to use, right? <laughs> this look, I want to put this in the magazine. Um, and there was a time where I was editor of Daily Bread and 
I was running Senate. So I kind of wore both hats, but I'm thinking like partially in, in terms of like great content for the magazine. Like I want every page to be a banger and to look rad. So even if the companies are contributing kind of like to, to the editorial content, just by having great skating, that's a plus. Um, but so Brian didn't skate for Senate. And so we came up with this idea of like, let's just use Brian anyway, even though he's not one of our skaters. And then I came up with this great line that was Brian Bell doesn't skate for Senate, but he's good enough to. And so it's like, kind of like it struck the perfect balance, right? Between kind of like this really arrogant, like F you attitude. Yeah. But it also was kind of like acknowledging like this badass skater out yeah, there. Tipping the um, cap. Just, yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was just, everything about it was like, it, I just thought there was something really like it got really, it caught the perfect wave. You know, that one, we got barreled in the tube with that one. It's, I thought it struck the right chord. It was cool. And yeah. it, and it was, it was, it was like really, and it was kind of like, you know, it was a company breaking company, like the unwritten rules of being a company, mm-hmm. right? We were sure. using someone else's skaters. We were calling it out. It's like, that's, that was one of the neat things. When I say Senate for me, it was a kind of like performance art. It was like always breaking that fourth wall, like always, breaking the conventions of what it means to be a company or to do things by the rules. And that still has been broken. I don't think I've never seen anything like that since then. And that was yeah. fucking 25, whatever years ago. Yeah. Was there yeah. any backlash from his sponsor from that? Like hyper or whatever? Know. I don't know. And the truth is if he was sponsored by hyper hyper owned Senate. So, so what? Oh. <laughs> right. I mean, how Perfect. much backlash are they really going to give us? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. Um, we've had you on for two hours. It's been incredible. I, I want to have you on again. And when I do, when, when we Is that do, a I, world record? When no, I think we, record? we've done, you're up there. I think it might be close. Too. Yeah. But I think next time we have you on, I have to definitely make sure my lighting is much better. <laughs> definitely I, have to do that. Definitely. Yeah. I, like I run home from work and like try to set these up really fast to do these. Um, There's um, there is one thing that I wanted to ask if you don't, if you we are trying to break a record, I don't know if you are. I know okay, you got a so, game so, to so, watch. So I'm only in for the records. <laughs> okay we're, we're in for the records yeah all right so austin you do yours and then i'll do mine okay, okay perfect we'll i did like that perfect so i again i know you spoke about shit a million times before in other interviews and podcasts and stuff but i wanted to ask you about um senate wrenches because as far as i know as we learned before we're not the most og people but as far mm-hmm. as i know that was like the first iteration of grind plates yeah. and i want to know if i don't know if senate was the first to make the wrenches or someone else did first and Senate was the first, like maybe manufacture them, but I don't know if you had any insights to like the start of where the wrenches came from and how that kind of transformed into the grind plate. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure we were the first ones. Wrench the Senate wrenches were our first product, even before we had wheels. Um, I see, I didn't we, know that. Yeah, we famously we started making those out of BK's garage. BK started making them, I think, with his with his dad. His dad like had a machine shop or something. They were they were just cut carving them up in their garage and we were putting them basically in sandwich bags and folding over a piece of paper and stapling it and i we like xerox the headers with some hand-drawn art that i made you know on a copier that that was senate wrenches and we were selling those and they were actual wrenches though no or or what no i don't think so the the name wrenches comes from the first grind plates some of the first grind plates we were using um old uh roller blades used to come with uh brakes obviously when you bought lightning skates Mm -hmm. and they would come with tools to remove the rule wheels so you could rotate the wheels and so you could take off the brakes um and the the tool that they came with was uh, a a wrench 
a little wrench, a little hex wrench to, to, you know, and it was. Right. Oh, shit, we're going to get an authentic ghost R right now. Yeah, so that was the wrench. Can you see that? Yep. Um, and it just so happened, oh, except for. There's a hole at the end, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, I was going to ask was about that. Right. And that's important because it just so happened that you could, if you had the right size skate, you could fit the wrench on your frames uh, between the middle two wheels by locking in, you know, the hex wrench and putting a bolt through the hole at the end so that the wrench would rest, would uh, bridge the gap between your two wheels, basically where an H block goes now or where a grind plate goes now. Um, and those were the first grind plates. We would we would bolt the wrenches onto the inside of our frames. Um, and so it would, you know, it would, I guess it would make your frames last a little longer. It would make them grind on metal and make the grinding sound. Um, and once the, uh, the frames got worn in with the wrench and they made a groove together, it was just really cool. Cause you had this kind of thick, um, glass reinforced nylon frame with the kind of metal edge to it. And so those were our first grind plates. And so, when we started making started making our first grind plates, even though they weren't technically wrenches anymore, they were actually just rectangles with holes in them. We called them wrenches in a nod to the the original rollerblade tools. That's really cool. Yeah. And hmm. who would have thought that, you know, just the metal grind plates were, in my opinion, like as far as growing up, like terrible. Like the plastic ones were the ones to get, you know. But yeah. that's the way shit was back then, you know. Yeah. I mean, and that's another example of, you know, just full hardy, like DIY, just sort of stuck in your ways, even if it's, you know, against your best interest or against sort of uh, common sense. Like, you know, campaign uh, with Senate, we made a big deal about, again, this was another thing. I always thought CDS was so lame because they made plastic grind plates. I'm like, plastic's <laughs> not grind plates. Metal is a grind plate. They're, uh, they're meant to be destructive. They're meant to make a loud noise. It's like, Grinding's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be like hard and gnarly. It's and grinding. Such, it's not sliding. Right. They're such <laughs> exactly. We said it's grinding, not sliding. Exactly. And the, these are such dumb ideas. But again, it all goes back <laughs> to kind of like this. Just holding these like these really, you know, j just uh, emotional, idealistic attitudes. Yeah. I was I was about to say that idealistic thing. To, it's. Um, Arlo, this has been incredible. You see that. Uh, a little no. lower. Oh, oh yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> Did it matter that the wrench was on the the second wheel, not the third wheel? What do you mean? Which 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 one it ended up? Like on? I'm saying, if, if you flipped it the other way, and like the wrench part was on the third wheel, not the second wheel, does that matter at all? Or no. No, I don't think it mattered. I mean, the way I drew <laughs> it here, it's too compressed. The the wrench wouldn't actually be affecting your groove. Yeah, gotcha. It, it, it's long enough that I don't think it mattered. Gotcha. Okay. Well, Arlo, we've had you on. I think this is a record, but I think oh, it's yes, please. <laughs> I, I think it's proper to end with this question for several reasons. One, because it's from a mutual friend, our friend Miguel. Wait, and, uh, before you answer that question, I just want to say one thing about getting this record. I'm also trying to stretch it out. Stretch it out sure. sure. <laughs> but because this is a year of records for me and for the city of Dallas, because the Mavericks are playing right now. And okay shockingly they have a chance you know they're playing in the playoffs they're right now they're against the best team in the nba the los angeles clippers even though they're second seeded but they have a chance of upsetting the clippers 
the Mavericks, Luka Doncic in his first year in the playoffs has a chance of winning the NBA championship. So Dallas is going to win the NBA championship. Uh, the, the stars are playing in playoffs. We're going to get the, the hockey Stanley cup. Um, the Cowboys could win the NFL playoff. I mean, the NFL uh, Super Bowl this year and the Los fancy boys, my, my fantasy team will probably get our third BFL trophy this year. <laughs> and I'm going to have the record on jump street. So this is a, Damn. this is a monumental year, incredible <laughs> output for me and the city of Dallas this year. So thank you guys for being a part of it. Totally. You know what? It's crazy. Cause this year has yeah. been, you know, it's been tumultuous for a lot of people. But I'm glad that for you, it's been a year of records. Breaking records. <laughs> no one has ever had three BFL trophy, trophies before. Do you guys have actual trophies? We have a trophy that travels around every year. Oh, We're really? Right now, That's Drew even better. has it. Um, but it's a, it, John got this trophy at a trophy shop. It's a, like a couch potato guy sitting on a couch watching TV. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I sculpted some little rollerblades on his feet. So now he's, now he's a rollerblader watching TV. It's cool. So it's, it's a BFL trophy. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You said Drew has it now? Drew has it now. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Dave Payne has it now, but he has, to transfer, he has to transfer it to Drew. Oh, cool. I think you're getting called one more time. Okay. This is the <laughs> last question. That's my low battery. <laughs> okay, okay. Right, so we got to wrap this up then. Now we're on the clock. Okay, so um, Miguel, who's a mutual friend of ours, and I think it's good to kind of end. I love on, Miguel. On, on like Who a doesn't? bit of a, a bit of a generic question as well, yeah. even though not to disparage Miguel's question because I think it's an important one too. But um, his opinion, his question: What is your opinion on the current state of rollerblading in 2020? You know, I'm I'm on the fence about answering this because Miguel asked the exact same question on the on i think it was on the one podcast um because it was a really good question because davy blair had just asked a terrible question mm -hmm. and then miguel followed it up with a really good question which was that one and it was a good send-off but so let me think can i say it in a new way ask me the question again um what is your opinion on rollerblading today in 2020 i mean the state of honestly we we kind of talked about because we talked about feasts a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, I I love rollerblading now, and there's there's a lot of things that I love about it. I love um, just within kind of the realm of stunt skating. I love how um, how multifaceted it has become. Like we talked about, like you don't there don't have to be clear distinctions between what kind of skater you are. It used to be a big deal if Aaron Feinberg or Stefano Fano was a transition skater and they weren't real street skaters. Those things are kind of out the window. I mean, skaters are skaters and they're awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but even on a broader scale, skaters are skaters, even if they're not stunt skating, if they have big wheels and they're going fast through the city and they're jumping over a planner. I mean, it's like the distinctions are not that important anymore. It's kind of like fun, you know, with wheels on your feet. And I always like, you know, in acknowledging that I like to sort of acknowledge, uh, uh, mushroom blading. I always think that they kind of have been big advocates for kind of the the move toward just like being creative with wheels on your feet and having a good time. And like, don't don't be so judgmental. Don't you know? Don't let yourself be pigeonholed. Don't don't be so beholden to um, to stratification and to labels and to being you know to be doing the right thing on skates. It's like whatever you're doing is cool. 
have fun doing it. And this kind of almost goes back to our original conversation. It's like, don't become the jock. Don't become too like committed to click mentality and like judging other people for what they're doing or for how they have fun. So I have no problem with skating. I love it. I love every aspect of it. I love all the different iterations of it. I love, I love all the different ways people are creative with skates on their feet. So yeah, I'm a big fan. Awesome. So thanks, Miguel. Thank Again. you, Miguel. <laughs> Arlo, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor, um, you know, from getting to know you as a person, skating your events, growing up watching you skating, and now having you in, on the podcast get to talk to you. It's been uh, an honor. So thank it's you. It's been awesome. Thank you so much. And I appreciate that. And let me just say one last thing because I will never let this podcast end. But I mentioned Dude, don't let it end. I'll bring you to the kitchen. I'll bring the laptop to the kitchen. Start cooking <laughs> dinner right there. We'll hang out all night. Well, each, each time it goes back to your camera, Billy, I noticed that it's gotten a little lighter. So I'm just, I'm trying to stretch <laughs> this out until you get to a full brightness. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but so the first people who ever contacted me about a podcast, it was the mushroom uh, blading guys. Mm -hmm. And this was years ago. Um, and it's, keep, we keep sort of pushing it off. It's never, we've never made our schedules work and it hasn't happened. And then coronavirus hit and I've done every single podcast mm -hmm. under the moon and I've done them all twice. And the only guys I still haven't talked to is mushroom blading. So that is still on the horizon. I'm waiting to get to that. And it's kind of neat that it's probably going to be the last one after I've done everything else, because I am sure that the, whatever's on the slate with them is going to be completely off the radar, right. off the wall. We will not cover any of the <laughs> conventional, uh, the greatest hits. It's going to be completely getting into the dark recesses of rollerblading and just, you know, kind of mind F stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. Totally. You hear that, Joey and Todd? You're up next. You're on deck. That's right. We're, we're setting it up. We're teasing it. So we have to make it happen. <laughs> well, well, thank you great. for talking about us, uh, with us about everything and, and including the greatest hits. I think, I think some of those greatest hits, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of these younger guys don't know and they need to know and they can't forget. So we got to sometimes those things that uh, we talk about a lot, you know, we got to talk about it again. Guys, I think that I think that everything we've talked about tonight, I think has all been really good content. And even the things that were kind of like some of the greatest hits, I think we found new perspectives and shed a mm -hmm. new or shed new light on them. So thank you guys. I think it's been you guys are great hosts. You've been great interviewers. I think this and you guys put out a great product. So thank you. This has been really great. Dan, thank you for helping us awesome. make it this way too. I mean, this Thanks is you, obviously one of the like high, most highly requested guests over oh, cool. the two years or so that we've been doing this. So it's great to cool. finally have you on. Well, I think people are going to be sorry. You got to be careful what you ask for because now they've got it and they've got way too much of it. <laughs> no. no. Well, there's still room for more. We got to have you on again too. Yeah, for yeah sure. I'll do it again. Anytime. After the mushroom blading one though, we'll let you get, yeah. okay. get it out there first. Thank you. Thanks cool. so much, Arlo. Enjoy All right, the be game. Good, you guys. Good Thanks luck a lot. with the Mavericks. Let's go Mavericks. I don't hey, know. Don't tell me anything. Go Mavs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Later. Thanks for watching. We'll see you in the next one. Peace. See y'all. Bye.